Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead. And I am Tiffany Liquid Enthusiast. Well, welcome to episode 157 of Beer Nuts, the podcast adjunct series. Tiffany, thank you for uh, Look at out me again. going back to back. Well, it's in Autoways. It's back to back, maybe for us oh, filming yeah. it, but for Autoways. <laughs> it's not actually back to back. It's not, not back to back. Okay, well, here but I am. People don't have to. Hey, hey. Welcome back again. Three also, episodes. Also, I'm not eight. always back immediately. Like, usually it's I'm like rare. a few months in between, unless it's linked up, best. of course. So, hey, y'all. How's it going? Uh, cheers to you. So, we, if Tiff's on the pod, you know it's, you know it's serious. <laughs> no, it's not fucking You know, around. I'm either talking to someone. Hey, I love everybody. Of course you do. But yeah, I have key, uh, I have friends that I obviously want to be on the podcast with. And, or I have a business that I like to talk about, so, so or marketing. Exactly. These are the tonight, three things that pull me out, or link up, four. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so yeah. there's a bunch of things. <laughs> and then tonight, uh, you got a bunch of those things ticked off. Yep. Um, this is a great one. This is a, a, an OG friend of the show. A oh, friend of the show, I love saying that. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, it's like friend of the show and friend in real life. Yeah, definitely but friend of the show. I like saying friend of the show because yeah. it's funnier. Yeah. Um, the other one we always joke, I, I, we don't really have that, but enemy, enemy of, the of the show. Enemy of the show is yeah. the best. Yeah. They have one enemy of the I show. I know we have a bunch of <laughs> but we don't talk about them. Um, yeah, man, this is this is just great. This uh, We haven't caught up with uh, this gentleman for a couple of years, I think, and a lot has happened. Oh, I'm already drinking his beverage, so yeah, oh, yeah. spoiled. This is like, see, when Tiff's involved, you just don't even follow the protocol <laughs> of waiting till we get on. But it's Sorry, okay. Yeah, you can do what bad. you like. It's your part. Um, I'm just going to make this happen. Guys, please welcome Shahanda Silva from Lost Craft and High Park in the building. <laughs> gang, gang, gang. What's good, my man? Good. Just chilling. Hell yeah. Welcome back. Great to see your face. Thank you. When was the last one? Was it 2021? That would be my guess. Do you I don't remember? Know. Oh, the last one would have been Link Up. Oh, that was in 2022. Yeah, link up was twenty twenty two. In the old apartment, for sh- in the apartment, we did it there. Okay. Yeah. So the the last full like this type of pod, as opposed to link up, would have been um, Tiff can t- try and find it. But yeah, so it's been a solid, uh, I would say, two to three years, and lots happened. I can't believe it's been that long since you guys wanted to talk to each other on a thing. I feel. Like I know. I feel like this is, and you're also one of the uh, the long. The, no, what's the word? Like most recurring guests. I feel like you you got to either be the most or like equal most. So it's, you know. Oh, like, yeah. Quarantine. The quarantine, quarantine. edition. That's the one. When, oh, my gosh. Yeah. September 2022. September 2020. September 2020? Yeah. Oh, whoa. Okay. Wow. That's bad. Yeah, that well, it, was, it was in my backyard. I remember that. Yeah. The backyard was the last, Oh, no. The, was the, the link up you link were in your backyard. One. I don't remember where that was. Maybe you were in your backyard twice because yeah, COVID you were and twice. such. Oh, no. Yeah. Either way. Yeah. <laughs> Either way, lots happening, uh, lots to talk about tonight. We're going to get into obviously what's been going on with you, but also some industry stuff. You know, the last part of people heard at episode one fifty four with Tiff, we um, we got into like you know a lot of the the taxation issues and what you know why breweries are closing, and you got you know a bunch of stuff around those general topics that we're going to get into tonight. So um, this is going to be the least beery podcast. Uh, There'll be a beer you know, involved. No, there will be, but it's awesome because we're doing completely different stuff. So we're starting off with uh, the classic Tejado um, tequila lime soda. There you go. My boom, face boom. is going to be focused. That's ah, okay. I think Can we get it? Can we get it? Yeah, it's too hard. It's okay because everything's a little stretched out up here. I'm just going to pull myself a touch. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, tell us about this one, bro. This is this one's been around a couple of years now, yeah? 
Yeah, it's a, that was this was our first actually RTD that we we launched um, within the LCBO a few years ago, uh, but we've kind of kept it going. It has a really strong cult following, like you know, no sugar. It was like the one of the first tequila soda lines in uh, in Ontario, so we're super proud of it. Mm. Wow, I didn't realize. So delicious. I do remember when you were making them that I didn't recall. Seeing I guess in general, like they weren't as popular until really into COVID. No. Or even kind of like 2021-ish. Would that mm -hmm. be right to say? Like even just the ready-to-drink culture didn't really come through until like 2021 in Canada? That sounds bad to me. Because I felt like, or when did you, so what year did you all release this, sorry? It was the it was the COVID year, so that was... So that was 2020, likely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very okay. first year to launch a new product. <laughs> and I'm no yeah. kidding. <laughs> I mean, sort of and sort of not. I think that was like that artificial boom, no? around that time and then everything kind of leveled out it was for uh like yeah i mean you're right like hit or miss like certainly for established brands it was money because people just went you were trying to get in and out of an lcbo you're not sitting there searching for things bumping shoulders with people right mm. uh trading masks so like it was mm. not uh it was not <laughs> Uh, oh, what a time. That's the episode name. <laughs> no, so, so you know, like, essentially people were going, it, it was definitely a time that, that drove people to less trial, more established, if you, if, if, you know, gotcha. going to your groceries, essentially. Um, and it was also extremely hard to market, right? Like, there was no events, there was no festivals, there was no bars and restaurants, really. So it was really, really difficult to get, like, you know, it was basically just dump money into social media and hope, you know, hopefully people pick it up. Um, yeah. but we know it's a great product. People love it. Like it's, we still sell a ton of it, you know, at bars and restaurants and, and direct and stuff through our brewery as well. So, um, so yeah, we hope that it'll eventually, uh, come back. We have new products too for Dada that are coming through, um, for the next couple of years. Hell yeah. Awesome. I love it. Um, now this one, um, was, was this, if I recall correctly, this was like your first like foray into the world of like the RTDs from, yeah. yeah? And the fact that you did like you have it like it's essentially a new brand um was did you ever consider doing it through lustcraft or anything else or was it did it make more sense really to just have its own sort of like sub brand as such yeah we thought about it for a long time actually i think i don't know there's pros and cons to it i think we wanted to uh, the real the crux of the decision was we wanted to separate the identity of the brand it's very different it's not you know putting like i think when you start doing rtds and it's like Lost Craft Tequila. It kind of doesn't have the same authenticity. And it's very different. Like within our company, the people that are, you know, do, you know, at the time, especially that were doing beer, weren't doing ready to drink. It was completely separate. Mm -hmm. So we kind of want each segment to have its own, you know, brand identity. And also like when you think of, you know, spirits um, more generally as well, <clears throat> and this is actually just more of a market trend within spirits, is that when you think about it, you know, for, for, for spirit brands, you think usually of the brand as the product, not like the distillery It's different than craft beer, right? Mm -hmm. Great point. Craft, yeah. The brewery, right. But with Grey Goose, you think of Grey Goose, right. Mm, you don't think kind, yeah, or whatever. Right. Like, so that's the, that's the other side of it. I think is more of a mentality of a cold, cold brand for specific ready to drink products. Mm. makes a lot of sense it's it sounds like I, I definitely want to get into that tonight as well like it's totally different to the beer business it sounds like in many ways yeah which is, which yeah. is interesting yeah um 
So should we talk more about that or should we get right into like the the the, the lost craft sort of since what's happened since then in high park maybe we do that first so that we can oh yeah because like high park that means you wouldn't have talked about that i assume no we haven't touched on that oh yeah 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 i know we have a bunch of rtds tonight so i will we'll get to the spirit stuff because i'm personally fascinated about it because i really don't know much i don't think we've ever had a uh a spirits well unless we drank willibald's spirits that's no we didn't not on the pod okay but i know what you mean like that's like I just don't know a lot about the business. I mean, typically, oh yeah, we haven't talked about about the business that much about it. But I think it's interesting because in that podcast that we just talked about that I did recently with you on the why are craft why are so many craft breweries closing? Mm -hmm. We did talk about in a market that's so saturated potentially, or if you're thinking like when you're thinking about how to differentiate or potentially increase your earning capacity. Is expanding in the beverage industry a good idea? So I think it's interesting to kind of talk about the pros and cons of that. Yeah, and kind of like what that business looks like because I find it interesting. And if you think of what the the big the big beers doing, they're beverage companies now. Basically, they're in cannabis, like they're in the cannabis drinks. They're in the because remember that drink I loved? I found it was like it was from uh, AB and Bev. In the end, there was like that CBD drink I loved, <laughs> and in the end, I was like, oh look, I've been oh, supporting. Oh, the one from we got in Quebec. Yeah, we didn't have it here. So yeah. there was that and one, and yeah, again, and then again, like the all the other drinks, the White Claws, all that type of stuff too. So great. Point. Um, yeah. I think that'll be interesting to uncover. But yeah, High Park, because I haven't been there yet. Yes. Oh, yeah, we definitely need to get down. So yeah, man, tell us, tell us, I guess, what's been happening in the business overall from the last time we spoke on the main part, aside from the Link Up one. So the end of 2020, up until now, obviously, you know, the acquisition and merger of High Park Brewery. Um, now there's a, a physical space for both breweries, which is shared, which is amazing. I got to go just before we moved. We went down, we hung out, had some beers. We didn't get to like, do a full tour though. There was like a, which is very smart. You were using like the, uh, the tank space as like an event area. It was right next to it. It was it was very cool. So um, it was jamming. It was like an nice. office party or something. People were cool. just having a great time. So didn't get to see, it, but it at least got to experience it and, and drink the beers there. Really enjoyed it. So yeah, man, tell us about like what's been cracking since then, and then how did all the merger stuff come about? Yeah. So when, so yeah, so we did the high park, this high park and we merged in uh, 2021 okay. and it was kind of largely driven off, you know, a need, a mutual need on both sides. You know, for us at the time we were going through COVID, we were having a very difficult time selling direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the time when people are doing a lot of online sales and stuff like that. Cause we didn't have a retail store authorization and they did. And then conversely, like we had, you know, a, like a sales team, uh, like a marketing kind of group, um, I don't say a group, but like, you know, we were good at sales and marketing essentially, which they didn't have. So it was, um, so it was a bit of a, it was, we both had something that each of us needed. So it just, it made sense. And then kind of since that time, yet yeah, to your point, like we, we spent, we, you know, we spent some money to renovate the the brewery and really make it like a destination location because we're not exactly on like a main street, but we are in, you know, in Toronto, large, large spot with parking, et cetera, et cetera, which is pretty unique. Close to the And parking? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, the pickup, it's ironic, right? Like, you know, when you're a brewery and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to have a retail store with a bottle shop to sell cases of beer, you kind of need an ability to do that. It's not, it's not as, it's not as easy when you just have to, you know, walk up traffic kind of, I mean, it works, but you know, it's just a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so we kind of 
invested in kind of making it like a really cool space. So now we do like we have a really great uh, events team that's that's that we do lots lots of weddings, corporate events, and that kind of stuff. And we have actually th three technically separate spaces. We have a brewery event space, uh, our tap room, which is always open, and then um, a big patio, a big patio as well. Um, and then we actually have an adjacent event space above our brewery as well that's kind of separated out. So it's it's a lot of kind of uh, definitely more of like a hospitality play. And then we also have our own mm -hmm. kitchen that we run as well there. Um, so we have food every day whenever the brewery is open. Um, so that's kind of you know what happened with with you know what's going on with that space. And then obviously we rebranded High Parks Beers and relaunched them in the in the, in the LCB stuff, and they've been doing you know quite well. Um, and then the, you know, on the other side, the, um, is since that time as well, we also really pushed heavily into spirits. So we started expanding our RTDs. So we have like multiple RTDs we've done tequila, gin, vodka, and whiskey, and we're, and we're continuing to roll out more for the coming year. And, uh, we also got into bottle spirits. So we do like regular, uh, regular spirits. So gin, vodka, whiskey, tequila, and, um, and rum actually as well. Nice. And uh, our first our first product for our gin, vodka, and tequila, all of them won, you know, awards at the San Francisco Spirits Competition. Our vodka won a Sweet. double gold, one of 20 vodkas in the world, which we're super proud of. So all Amazing. like made, made locally in Ontario, not on site at a distillery, a partner distillery that's in Ontario. But um, again, so we've kind of, since, since our last kind of chat, we've definitely like fully diversified into, um, all, all sorts of beverage alcohol except for wine currently essentially although I guess we do cider and uh, and I think uh, you know going forward certainly like non-alc will be something that we'll be doing we, we are developing non-alc beer but I think we're also looking at just other non-alc drinks as well not necessarily just beer amazing it's huge bro I mean just the amount of things you just rattled off the yeah, it's like it's you're saying it's so casually and it's like <laughs> It's all like huge, huge moves. Yeah, so these are extreme product launches. You've shipped a massive. lot in the last two to three years. Yeah, it's man. really impressive. Um, the non-alcoholic uh, beverages is a very cool one. Yeah. One thing I loved about Quebec was they went pretty in on the NA ready to drink. So like the non-alcoholic mixed oh, I gin. About I that. loved those. They don't really have them here. No. At least none that I can really recall. I haven't seen really. one at all. Maybe do, you, do you know what she's talking about? So Yeah, like I've seen non-alcoholic RTDs for, for sure. Yeah, it's a like few the Dejado just non-alcoholic, but it tastes exactly the same. So it's delicious, but you... You're right, Collective does do it. Yeah. yeah, who else does it here? I haven't I haven't seen it aside from that. Not that many, but I, I see it more than, more and more for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with those drinks, it's very much, you know, you got to like, you really like figure out the demo, right? Because it's it's not easy. Like I've seen the Olay ones here just very recently, which oh, I which, oh, yeah. um, like. I don't know if you know Olay. They're like a tequila RTD company, and they oh, they yeah. have some non ox Okay. Uh, that I think recently, but you know, there's yeah, it's just it's a it's it's definitely like a growing market, but it's it is getting a lot of you know a lot of new you know competition to that space as well. So okay. definitely you know interesting for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, with regard to the High Park and Lust Craft, like how how have you? I mean, I guess you sort of when you merged with with High Park, there was already they already had like a full like you know roster of beers that obviously you've added to and tweaked and stuff. But um, how have you sort of gone about differentiating the two brands? Obviously, Lust Craft was the 
I would say in the in the best possible way, a gateway brewery with the beautiful can. The first one, I think, in the province with like the can that you saw everyone was like stoked to just hold and and drink that at a party. Um, you know, a very approachable, crushable beers, the Kolsch and like the the red ale and the um, serious the pale and, and all of that stuff. The original. Um, lineup i guess for lost craft that obviously has diversified a lot high park i i know i remember having like a, they had some english ales like a mild or something and some some mm-hmm. ipas and things like that but yeah w- what's the sort of now that you've had the brand for a few years what's the differentiator as far as the the two yeah i mean i think certainly like lost craft has always been uh you know certainly more of that gateway call it craft craft brand for sure and i think approachability and drinkability will always be kind of pillars to the beers that we kind of come out with. We will come out, as you know, with IPAs and stuff like that, Uh, but they're definitely going to be like lighter, a little bit less balanced and kind of generally speaking a little bit, you know, easier to drink for the average consumer. Um, I'd say that High Park also had a very similar, there was a lot of overlap, I think, in terms of like stylistically, uh, however, I think that just that their beer styles were, um, and some of them, which we've kept, kept kind of going, uh, but were needed to get a refresh. So they didn't have like their, their biggest beer, which is rings of Saturn, their hazy IPA. They didn't have one of those. They had a traditional English IPA, which right. has it called down the pond or something across the pond or off the leash. Off the leash. <laughs> what was the pond one? Cause I, that's the one I'd have. Across the pond is their, uh, English, this is their English amp, it's their amber basically. Ah, okay. Understood. Sorry. Okay. Uh, but again, off the leash won like a gold medal at the brewing awards, right? Like in Ontario, I don't know when it was like five, five, six years, five, six years ago in an English IPA category, but that just, that category isn't really what, you know, a lot of people are looking for at the LCBO anymore. Mm -hmm. So essentially we just repositioned a lot of their beers into like more attractive categories, more, you know, more generally. Um, and obviously like with the brand refresh really helped, like we did, um, we did, we, we kind of retooled the entire brand. We've kind of spiced it up with new seasonals. I think you guys tried our pumpkin spice latte. Yes, we did. Right. Um, Fantastic. I think it, I think it, I think it was towards the end of it. So I don't know how much you could actually taste of it. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think we had like nine pumpkin beers and <laughs> I was like, I, I kind of thought it was fun, but yeah. Cause you know, you were like, Oh, what'd you think? And I'm like, I, everything just sort of tasted like cinnamon and nutmeg really by the end. It was, yeah, wasn't yeah. really the best move in, in hindsight. <laughs> I want to try it again though. Yeah. It was super interesting though, because it was that coffee approach. Loved it. Very cool. Yeah. yeah it did really well. So we were like super amped about that. And, um, and yeah, so it's kind of been an evolution. Obviously, there's been a, as you as I as I kind of rolled off, we've been doing a lot of different things. So we've been slowly like trial, you know, trial essentially trialing out kind of what's working. And but that's kind of generally speaking what um, what we've been doing kind of with the brand and kind of trying to separate them out. I mean, again, High Park is obviously very localized, you know, to you know mm. West Toronto High Park area. So, mm. um, but we are definitely expanding it outwards as well. Oh yeah, cool. The demo, I'm, I'm just really curious because it's sort of, you know, like we said, we we were talking about this on the pod the other night where they, we were mentioning some breweries that had closed, but breweries that had merged. I mean, there was like 20 that closed, but there was maybe five pairs of, of Yeah, that mergers. came into some form of merger. Yeah, some form of merger. Yeah. It seems like it varies yeah. a bit. Sometimes they keep the brand, sometimes they yeah. don't. Like say, for example, um, uh, what's the one, Mascot. 
is take is taking Kensington's brand out from what it looks like altogether. I think we don't know for we sure. We don't know. But that's but, what it seems. And like, I just yeah. I was at a bra just before, and I met uh, one of the reps from Silversmith, and they bought Black Oak, and they'd merged that because they put out one of their nut browns, and they gave me he gave me a can, and it mm. had as you know the classic beer from from Black Oak. So they actually almost have like it's like a tiny little label, but it's all branded like uh, okay, Silversmith. Like Silversmith. So. Being that now you've got two completely distinct brands, the rebrand is gorgeous, as that you were talking about on High Park. It's so nice. It's so modern. The, the tree, it looks like paint splatter, but it's a tree. It's it's super cool. Um, what what have you noticed with the differentiation between the the, the demographics? Like, do you have different people? Does it do kind of in the tap room, I imagine it'll probably bleed. Like, people will kind of take this and that and whatever. But have you noticed any or or – Notice the differentiation, or have you intentionally been like, all right, Lost Craft is really aimed at this group of people, and High Park is really aimed at this? Is there anything like that, or are you just kind of letting it fly? No, I think that, I mean, obviously, knowing your customer is important, but um, I'd say that we cast a wide like audience, um, so and for both brands, to be honest. And we kind of learned that a lot through our like home delivery business. And I think home delivery is definitely skewed more towards like an older demographic than, um, than a younger demographic for sure. Okay. But um, sorry, one second. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. It's, um, it, it's super interesting when you think about, right? Like how, people what was the high, uh, high park, uh, like audience demo before, or I don't know if it's still continuing on now, but what was, what did that feel like? Shaham might even better have a better answer, but I was thinking like, I remember when you first, we were talking, you were looking at, uh, the merger and you were sending me, yo, what do you reckon of their stuff? And I didn't even realize who they were. I had their beers, but I got them confused with another brewery. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't as familiar with what they had done. Like if they had that English ale, um, to me, it was probably more skewed older, but they, they gave me the impression that it was more that older, you know, that 10 to 15 year ago, uh, Ontario where craft brewery where it was like a lot of English beers, you know, just like in Quebec, it's all Belgian Yeah, out here. Everything was, was, uh, English mm-hmm. beers. So it was kind of that. It seemed just old school. Like yeah. the branding was old school. Um, and the beers that I had had were more old school, which funnily enough, I actually really enjoy now. All those English milds and stuff. I love them. So it's, uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know if I would have picked because back then everything was. So even if you're 22 and you're drinking craft beer in 2011, yeah, you're probably going to be drinking something like that because that's everything was kind of like yeah. that. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint, but- did you have any, yeah, keep, keep going. Yeah, no, we, like, I'd say that it's, it's honestly, like, I think that certainly like the branding was a little bit more vintage and kind of, certainly I think when we took it over, we wanted to freshen it up. And even the owners agree that it needed a refresh mm-hmm. dated for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that like, I see who comes to our, you know, the brewery to buy our, to buy kind of beer. And now it's slowly, it's, it's very funny. Like when we first started, it, it was some people were buying High Park and some people were buying Lost Crap. And there's very little like overlap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Interesting. Whereas now it's, it's very different. Like people are just getting a bunch of different things. Um, but the, the demo with us, I always say this is like a unique feature for our brewery. Cause I think that we, I think the, the ethos of what we're trying to do in terms of like approachable beers and expanding the net and, and, and being, being, a, being a brewery that can, can attract any kind of customer, whether they're craft or not, like we see, you know, young 20 year olds to, you know, retired people. Like it's a mm. big, 
big off. It's not specific. Like we're not, you know, the rocker brewery or we're not the hip hop brewery. We're the, gotcha. we have a, a pretty wide net, I think of people that, you know, consume our product. I think that's also in part to kind of the community organizations that we work with and kind of our marketing ethos and kind of what we're trying to do and be about in terms of being pretty active in, in our community. So I think that that, that certainly helps. Um, it's not really tied to one specific thing. Um, but I'd say it's evolving, right? Like, I think, I think I would also say that beer as a category is evolving, right? Like the people that were drinking beer five years ago aren't necessarily drinking beer today. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's definitely just dynamic, but I'd say that it's, it's very broad in general. And I think both brands is very broad. Um, but I think, you know, people would have thought that, you know, the high park brand maybe was a little bit of an older school brand, but it's, but I, but, but in seeing the, the data, it's less so now for sure. Hmm. Interesting. And sorry, one thing when you just mentioned that the people, I want to double click on something you just said, right, uh, sorry, that the good. people who are drinking, who were drinking beer five years ago are not drinking beer or not the same today. Do you mean that it's expanded and there's more people drinking craft beer? Or do you mean that, like, what do you mean by that? I'm just curious, like, how, how have you seen the craft beer drinker evolve? Well, what I'm, well, I guess there's two sides of that. There's the beer drink, there's beer drinkers and then there's craft beer drinkers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd say that, you know, beer is down, beer per capita consumption in Canada, I think is down 25% since 2008. Like that's a massive, that's a massive drop, right? Yeah. And then if you kind of focus in on a bit of the data, you know, craft beer is certainly, I mean, there's all kinds of different numbers that you hear. So I'm not going to reference one, but I'd say certainly it's flatlining. It's not growing like the way it's not growing 10, 20% per year, like it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and um, I would say, because we have, you know, we work uh, like, you know, I still, I'm an alumnus of U of T. So I still talk to, I still have part of some student organizations around kind of from what I grew up to like in what they were doing versus now. And, you know, before, you know, you go to parties and stuff, you're seeing kegs of beer and like, you know, beer all, you know, at everywhere you can kind of go at university. Mm. And now it's vodka sodas. It's, it's, you know, mixed drinks. It's that is that that's, that's certainly it's, and it's replaced at a grassroots level. So what I'm, and I see that more and more in terms of like what, you know, you go to a party now, you know, whereas before you would typically see, you know, cans of beer, craft beer, you see more and more and more RTD. Mm-hmm. Um, at, so what I guess what I'm saying is the consumers that were like there, I see personally, like, you know, anyway, like a, definitely a shift of consumers that were buying kind of like craft beer previously shifting more and more towards ready to drink. And I think that more generally, you know, the, you know, the, and the other part, it probably affects like a, a company like us more. That's more of a gateway audience. Like, you know, if you're a super crafty, like heavy into IPAs and that's what people like to drink, then yeah, you're, you're going to be less impacted by people wanting to drink less beer and more vodka sodas. Right. Yeah. So like affect everyone differently. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a bit of the, you know, the bit of the context. Gotcha. The other thing I was curious about, one, you know, we definitely and I spoke at the uh, OCB conference uh, in October last year, and we were using Lost Craft as like the benchmark for BIPOC and diversity as far as your consumer base. Like from the beginning, you're from Scarborough, you very much had the people you grew up around and with in mind 
when you were creating, at least even not when you're creating your products, when you're marketing the products, you were very much involving different communities and craft beer typically uh, targets, as we've you know, spoken about at length on this pod. Um, how have you noticed those groups, basically meaning white, you know, not in white dudes with beards type of shit, everyone else? How, how have you noticed them, those people translating to the physical space? Like, obviously, Toronto is, what, is the most multicultural or diverse city in the world. Even if it's one like of them, one of yeah. So people are everywhere, all around the city. But have you noticed? Like, do you feel like the the diversity aspect? I'm curious about that more from the consumer side, as far as like that's what's going to save the industry for the most part is like more different people getting into beer. Like, have you noticed that they're actually translating from going to the LCBO, buying Revival, and then actually coming into the brewery itself? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that, again, like I say, we we cast a pretty wide net um, at Lost Craft High Park. So, like, we get we definitely get a lot of everyone for sure. Um, we love white guys with beards too, as I told you before. So, uh, know, they're overrated. Don't feel discriminated. They've been enough. marketed to enough. They're yeah. fine. I feel the opposite of discriminated. <laughs> it's okay. Exactly. Well, overly included. <laughs> <laughs> we good. Um, Sorry, but. Um, but no, I mean, I think I, I, I would say like, I mean, I set a high bar for myself and I think that I'm, I, I'm certainly not happy with where we are in terms of penetration. Cause I still don't think it's where it needs to be. I think that we're doing, you know, it, it's a slow grind. We're doing a lot, lo, lo, you know, a lot of right, a lot of the right things. Um, but you know, it takes time like anything, right. It's hard to convert. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I would say like, and this is where I think like, you know, craft, the craft brewing industry has, you know, kind of some structural difficulties is because there's not a lot of loyalty, right? right. Mm. Whereas there is a lot of loyalty in the Heineken drinker, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's drank Heineken forever and the Stella drinker or the, you know, Bud Light drinker or the whatever, right? Like there's a lot of loyalty with those brands. So it's a lot harder to convert, you know, it's mm. definitely like a lot harder to convert um, but you know, that being said, I think, I think that there's ways to do it. You just kind of have to be grassroots and kind of get your name out. But at the end of the day, you also have to make beers that are, pal- you know, palatable to those audiences. So if they're, if they're customers that are, that want Corona's and if you're giving them hazy IPAs, like you're not going to convert, you know, mm-hmm. like, so it has to start somewhere. So you have to also have a product mix that works, I think, mm-hmm. um, and obviously connect with those, you know, communities that, you know, perhaps have been underrepresented in, you know, beer, you know, beer beverage marketing in, you know, in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that lack of loyalty is because, well, one, there was less options back in the day. So you started early with one brand and then kind of continued on, you know, similar to cars, like a car brand's goal is to be your first car because you're more likely to continue purchasing that brand all the way through. So do you find, do you think that's it? Or do you just think there's just like too many beers and people are just like, oh, whatever, I need to try them all. Like, what do you think causes that? I think craft beer as an industry has always kind of been predicated on exploration, right? Like you're making new, unique, innovative beers, not necessarily beers you're going to have a hundred times, just you want to try once or twice or whatever. Right. So I think like that's part of the kind of, that's part of the ethos. Uh, I think certainly another part of the ethos is, you know, and that's changed for sure. But like, you know, this year, I think 
there was a lot of light lagers kind of that came out or like light beers, more way more easy drinking beers than there have been in the past, I'd say. And that's a trend that we see kind of continuing. <clears throat> so, you know, I also think that, uh, you know, for you, you need to have beers that people want to kind of repeat by, right? Mm-hmm. Consistently. Um, and you, as you guys know, you know, with IPAs, you guys, po- you know, Craig, you post, different IPAs every, you know, every other day, right? You're not going to be the same. four different times, four times a day. (laughs) Like it would be a little bit stale, right? So, you know, you understand like the culture culture isn't, you know, drinking Jelly King, drinking Jelly King. (laughs) No, that's fair. That's true. That's fair. uh, Yeah. Anyway, so it's, I think that's just part of the thing, you know, it's like, it's meant, I think it always has been exploratory and it really hasn't focused on, Okay, let's build like real strong brand consistency. Now, Steam Whistle has done that, right? There yeah. are a few that have, um, but I would say the majority, you know, that's not really been the focus. Gotcha. And I actually love Steam Whistle for that reason. And yeah. we have some in the fridge. We went and visited, and they were just nice and randomly gave us two six packs each or something like that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, I just love having it in the fridge and drinking it because I'm like, huh, if I just want a nice beer that's gonna be you don't have to think about crisp clean don't have to yeah don't have to think about it it's really good i had like a few over christmas and things like that and i was like this is great beer um i wonder if that's what needs to change about craft beer then like i thought that's what the core the intention of the core brands are that's correct i think so and the easier drinking that you mentioned before sean like as Mm -hmm. far as the the do we're seeing more and more of and we've seen more and more of that over the last three to five years maybe mm-hmm. more so actually as the pendulum swung back after covid when everyone wanted double ipas in 2020 and then they got fat and broken and then they're like fuck i need something more chill yeah and then came back to that so i think maybe that's probably the biggest area of opportunity for for craft breweries in that they need that sort of beer that people will come in and buy two four of yeah and that's just like how they get down. So yeah, they I mean, feel good, and they want to always have six in the fridge. Every for that, time they or just feel good. Like to, yeah, maybe they still buy other ones for the exploration because, like you said, that is what craft beer has typically been about, at least over the last say fifteen to twenty years. Yeah, but then you know, at the same time, sometimes you don't want to explore. Sometimes you just want something reliable and good. Yeah, and like, I feel like that leaves a, a lot of opportunity for brand loyalty, even if it's not a particular product. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if you're just that's like, I love Lost Craft and this Lost Craft makes my beers and that's where I get them from. And that's just what it is. And even yeah. if I pick up two different ones every time, it's like I'm still sticking with That'd revival all the way through. Specific type or of consumer. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to. Uh, Could I just put a quick pin just before you say that? Drink? The next one, I'll go grab it while you yeah. ask that question, which is the next one because you're directing. Um, do you want me to remind you what we have? Oh, yeah. Let's do the grapefruit. It's our grapefruit? new. Beautiful. Because I haven't had it. Yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Tiff, you can ask a question. I want to talk about, actually, yeah, ready to drinks because you mentioned, you know, you're connected to your alum a bit and, you know, you get to, you're kind of on the ground there. So you're seeing that at parties and you're just like hearing from the community. So did that, what encouraged you to want to take this path in the ready to drink space? Is this something that you were just like, hey, I'm interested and I want to do that. I want to explore spirits. Or was this more data driven where you could see a trend happening and knew that it might make it might be a wise business decision to go here? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a bit of both. I mean, I'd say that, you know, we were definitely had we been there a couple of years earlier. I think we look a lot different. But, you know, essentially, certainly like there was a there's a pretty fast like explosion. I mean, definitely like White Claw and like neutral around that time was really when it really kind of 
took off like in a major way. Mm. Um, Can I tell you a number? Actually, I have it here from the last pod that we did. And uh, after 2022, there was a 104% increase in ready to drink. So 102, like they just came in smashing like through COVID basically. Right. So yes, massive increase. Yeah, massive increase, right? And I mean, there's obviously like ebbs and flows to this, but I think that, you know, convenience is a big, is a big deal, right? And I think also the quality of the product that you can get now is way better than it was mm. before. Like you can get really good cocktails and cans now, you know, the, yeah. the, the seltzers are getting better and better and better. So, you know, I'd say like the quality as well in the RTD space has definitely gotten better. I mean, they're still not great RTDs, but I'd say, if, uh, you know, for the most part, um, there are a lot of great RTDs that are out there. So um, when we when we first got in, yeah, I mean, part of it was there weren't very many tequila based products and we love tequila. So, I, I mean, it was that was kind of part of the the, the genesis with one of our business partners um, when when it was first developed. Um, but, but certainly like now expanding our portfolio into more unique products, certainly like we see big, a big shift in kind of demand for those products for sure. I mean, and that is obviously, you know, data driven, but again, you know, we came out, you know, when we started or when I started last craft, I had an objective of kind of expanding, expanding craft beer to more people, but certainly it was about, you know, fundamentally it's about making great products. So, you know, you want to make products that people want at the end of the day. Um, and so now within the RTD space, that's that's definitely what people want. Hell yeah! Oh, this is nice, this is dude. Great. This um, nice. Grapefruit tahado now, so it's like it's super it's understated. Hint. Yeah, you know why I, I love, love the these. You know I love tahado. <laughs> yeah, you know, know how I know. I, I hate. I don't enjoy Flavor. very sugary. <laughs> relax. Very sugary. Very sweet. Uh, and that was a problem with some of the RTDs and some of the, just even the seltzers that breweries produce, especially when we were in the states in Florida. So intense. So many of them were just like so sweet, like just not a good time. This is like fantastic. It's literally the hint of grapefruit, you know, but you have like a, just a very nice, subtle flavor and something that's too easily drinkable, but still, I don't care. I'll just keep going through them quickly. Yeah. I love them. I think this is great. This is awesome. And this just dropped? Uh, dropped like late last summer. It'll be like a first full summer this year. Yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, it's great, man. It's like, it's nice to have like a couple variants as well yeah. of the same thing. Like you said, you, tequila, I guess tequila uh, RTDs are, are pretty damn popular because a lot of people, tequila is like the- Some um, of those were popular in, uh, in Florida, Florida too. That's true. So actually. there was only oh, like, yeah. there was like, that the was the only ones I think well. I was drinking the most were the tequila sodas because they were the, le the less sweet. The yeah. least sweet. And they still had, yeah. so it was cool. There's a bunch of different uh, flavors, but yeah, I noticed it was, it's like the, 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 you know the clubbing crowd they're always drinking that fucking what's that the, the pretty bottle 1942 whatever it is and stuff like that like people mm -hmm. really fuck with tequila is what i'm saying yeah yeah tequila's um, a good time. so it's like it's it definitely feels like it's a, a smart one to keep expanding is this like the you know a brand that you're going to keep growing out as far as the different flavors and offerings under the dejado brand yeah yeah oh yeah for sure like we're we have uh one or two new rtds that are going to come out for next summer and then we also have like we work, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a project, but we have like kegged, uh, kegged and bottled cocktails as well that are, that are coming out. Um, we, nice. that we already Sick. last year. Yeah. So, so we're talking like margaritas, palomas, and some oh. other kind of more unique beverages that are actually on tap. So they're really convenient for places that are like high volume. 
Um, we actually have that under Local Spirit, our distilling company as well. So they're for both. So we have Old Fashions um, oh for my gosh. as well. Yeah, I love that. I was about to say, I went when we went to Vail in um, Richmond, Virginia. Richmond, they had Old Fashioned on tap. And I was like, this is genius. This is an amazing. So you all have that at High Park, like that at the brewery. We do, yeah. And we have espresso. Mar so we have margaritas, espresso martinis, and oh Old Fashioned. Oh, it's a party. Uh, yeah. Okay, it's a good I time. Mean, you know, and that's interestingly, like, you know, what we're seeing, you know, to your point about the macro trend on beer, you know, places that have 10, 12 taps just realize, like, you're sitting on you're sitting on a lot of money if you just have a lot of beer that just doesn't move very well, right? So yeah. what a lot of places are doing is compressing their beer lineup and trying to add other unique things. So this is like an example of something where, um, you know, rather than having another another IPA on tap, well, why don't you put a cocktail on tap and push that, yeah. right? Like it's easier, uh, it's an easier sell and it's obviously consistent product, high quality, you know, obviously pre-batched. Um, so that's been, you know, something also that we've been kind of focused on in terms of expanding our, our kind of product lineup as with adjacencies, essentially. Yeah. I love that. And because when you think about it, if I'm not a craft beer drinker and someone brings me to it and I'm just like, not that interested, it's way better to get whatever, five, six, seven, I don't know, whatever the cost of it might be because you have I, everyone drinks spirits for the most part. Like a lot of people yeah. will be down. So even if you don't drink beer, if you see something like an old fashioned, you're like, oh, I'm going to try that. That's cool. I've it's, never seen that on tap. Yeah. Or it's just, it, it's yeah. like, don't just take the opportunity to make the extra money. Mm. Like, don't you want to increase your overall ticket price? Particularly when like, if you're saying that, say there's like 12 macro yeah. muggers on I never tap, even like, thought about that. Where it's, it's like, you really shit. go and it's all these different things. And it's like, why not yeah. just add something different? I never um, considered Even that, if it would be kombucha, for example, as a non-alcoholic option it'd be i think beneficial to have like an na then you have a couple you know spirits or something like that a wine sometimes you see wines on tap which is always very mm -hmm. cool and then yeah and the beer i love that it makes like you're almost leaving money on the table if you don't as like a bar test it. even if it's not a craft beer bar then yeah. really what we're saying like a like just a general even bar. A craft beer bar i think i would do it it actually makes a lot of sense. I feel like yeah. if you're a smart business, just like if you're a brewery like yourself that is diversifying, essentially, like Tiff mentioned earlier, like a beverage company, if you are a bar or a craft beer bar mm. and you don't have multiple options, you're really leaving That's like- why there's different flavors of ice cream when you go to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yeah. You add you add diversity. The more diversity you have, the more opportunity you I, have. There is an element to... about niching too. Yeah. But at the same token, if I want to go to a craft beer bar and I'm trying to get, hey, like me and you are down and Tiff, you're down, but say we're trying to bring some other friends and they're like, uh, but I'm like, Hey, look, they got wicked craft, you know, local spirits, um, craft cocktails on tap. And mm -hmm. but like, that's, it's a good selling point. I think it's just super dope. And I feel like it's like, at least we discovered it like 2023 in the States. I've never seen it before. Oh, the, we, no, we had before. Cocktails? I would say, Oh, not cocktails. The draft on tap. cocktails. So no. that's specifically that. Yeah. I don't think so. So yeah. like, if that's coming to Canada, it's it's a um um what's the word novelty. It's like fun. Mm -hmm. People are coming like, yo, you got an old fashioned on tap, fuck. Like, how do they turn out, by the way? And are they like um carbonated or something? Because it's probably run through the same lines as beer. Like, how does it work? Uh, it's different depending on the product. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, they're not carbonated. So gotcha. you can just you can just run them on. I mean, obviously, there might be a little some slight carbonation, but very little. Yeah, um, like old fashioned isn't. Really? It depends. Like, 
espresso martini is a little bit different. Like you got to pour it and you still have to shake it to get the foam, but it, it will naturally foam. Mm-hmm. Um, I was about to ask, yeah, how do you get foam? Like do you run it through a nitro drink, tapples yeah. on it? Pardon? Yeah, that, yeah. yeah that, that becomes more complicated if we, you know, because like bars aren't going to necessarily add permanent nitro taps for espresso martinis, gotcha. right? So we had to figure out, again, this is like the R&D element of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, I would say this, like going through that process and now like understanding like how, I would say this, it's easy to make, a, uh, like it's easy to make an RTD. It is mm-hmm. hard to make a good RTD. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like you would think it's just adding flavor and vodka and there's your RTD, but like there's a million flavors you can get. Right. And yeah. so many good RTDs that are out there, like to get someone to convert, um, it has to be really good, really unique, you know, have interesting features, be very high quality. Like, you know, um, you know, so it's, there's a lot of science that has to go into making, you know, making something that's really good. And then the keg cocktail piece is even more complicated because, you know, you're using high proof alcohol. Again, if you're looking at pouring it off draft, how does that work? You know, there's, there's a lot of different elements to it um, that uh, that took a lot of time to kind of get right, essentially. Mm. But without going too, too deep, I'm just, it just occurred to me now, like, what's the R&D process like? So I know, say, with beer, you can brew a pilot batch or a homebrew batch. And maybe someone makes, oh, I could try this homebrew batch. I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. All right, let's scale it up to... 200 liters on this pilot batch. I'm like, oh, cool. We nailed it. Now let's make 30 hex or whatever it is. Um, what does that look like for an RTD? Like, is it literally one shot of vodka? Now I'm going to put this raspberry flavoring. Like, what what does it sort of look like from that side? Uh, you don't have to go too much detail, but I'm just uh, curious in comparison to beer because beer is a little more straight up and down. There's one way to do it and that's it. Yeah, it's definitely – It can. It, I would say this. It can start as one shot of vodka – you know, get some flavor, I don't know, do something and like, be like, Oh, this drink tastes good. The hard part is how do you have a scalable recipe that you can make money at? Mm-hmm. Right. Because, because it is not easy to, to scale as I, you know, we talked about, you know, before the pod, you know, spirits taxes are a lot higher than beer. So yes. the margins of RPDs are a lot thinner. So it is more difficult, I'd say to, to make a high quality product with a cost that makes sense to make essentially. Mm. Um, so you have to be, uh, so, you know, you have, there's, that's where the science, I mean, there's element and there's also, I mean, there's other things too, like shelf life. Like, have you, if you have, have you ever bought an, a, a bad RTD at the LCBO? Maybe not. Awesome. Mm, I'm trying to think. No, you know what? I think it's so new here. Uh, it's like, even though I've bought them, I have not had an issue ever. Yeah. And they have in Australia back in the day, yeah, like it's flat or yeah. tastes a bit funny or something. And also I buy them direct more than the LCBO too, so that could be a thing as well. Fair. Or like from Durand and stuff like gotcha. that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So what, they get really bad? I thought they would have a way long shelf life because it's like literally. Well, they're spo- well, that's my point, right? They're supposed to. They should. Yeah. But what I'm saying is when you have a bad RTD, usually it's not like, oh, the RTD is bad. Like it is gone bad. And, they're, oh. and that's the it's behind like the shelf stability and like, you know, there's, there, you know, there's, I don't say preservatives necessarily, they're pasteurized. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could, that could, that could be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'd say is like stability is important, right? Like you want, especially like a product like Dahado is easy because it's just, you know, it's basically like tequila and some flavoring, right. And, and carbonation more or less. Uh, it's more complicated when you have real fruit, real ingredients, 
like the next drink that we'll try is, you know, one of the fizzes, like those are, those are products that actually have real fruit in them. So when you do that, it's a completely different ball game in terms of making sure that the product that you can taste the same when the, the you know, the person's consuming it. Hmm. I've never considered that. Yeah. It's the same problem, like real fruit, same as a smoothie or a, yeah. some sort of a sour, fruit and sour. So uh, it tastes great. Yeah. Sorry. It tastes really good. I really no, like it. Name. It's awesome. Um, sorry. I, I was thinking, go, you go first. Cause okay. So we talked about the pros of the, because I'm very interested in the RTD side of things. Yeah. So there are the pros, which is the diversity of your consumer base, which of course that's always going to be a benefit to an extent, as long as you can afford it, I guess. Is there a con? What are the cons you would say? So you mentioned like the tax. Going into yeah. It. So what are the cons of exploring or going into the RTD business? Um, I mean, it depends on your, your perspective, right? Like I'm, I'm certain there's probably like a, a very, I wouldn't say a fickle, but a very strict craft consumer that if you're making RTDs, you're like, oh, you're not serious about beer. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's something uh, that, that could be a negative uh, com- aspect of it, but probably the biggest that, uh, you know, a few companies that have gone in and we were kind of in this boat too, to some extent, like we, the LCBO is was 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 pretty good to us so we didn't end up taking like a huge hit Mm -hmm. but you know the the other thing when you get into the art like when you're playing in the rtd space you are playing in the big boy territory there's no small now actually there is ironically but before there's no craft rtd category and and white claw right it's one rtd category and you have to hit very, very, very high targets to to maintain an LCBO listing. Like I'm talking astronomically, especially if you compare it to beer. It's like nowhere close, right? Okay. So whereas you know, a brewery can launch a beer in the LCBO and it's easy peasy. You're never going to lose your shirt at it. Just, you know, you may sell out, you may have a little bit of stock, but you shouldn't wildly overstock. The difference in in um, at the LCBO with RTD is that you do – because in order to have a high, like you have a very short selling window, right? It's like during the summer, basically. And you have to hit a really high bar. So in order to hit that high bar, you can't run out of stock. So you have to produce a lot. But if you produce a lot and then you don't sell, you can be left holding the bag really significantly. Mm-hmm. So that's, but now, I, interestingly, the LCBO has changed that where there is now a small producer program for craft kind of beverage companies in Ontario. So that's definitely changed. Nice. Good. Um, which is awesome. And and that program is amazing. That's how our like Pink Chin Fizz got shot last year at the LCBO. Nice. Um, so I think that the LCBO is definitely doing, I, I've always said this, like for craft beer for, and now, you know, even in the RTD space, even in spirits, because you can really easily get a spirit into the LCBO. Like making it sell is the harder thing. Um, but now the LCBO has, you know, generally been very, very supportive to craft. And now they're really, and now that craft beer support has, has pushed into RTD as well, which is awesome. Um, so you're going to probably see more and more craft, you know, producers into that space. Certainly. I mean, I think that they're doubling the program, not like this coming year, the following year. So it'll be, you know, you're definitely going to see more and more small producers, um, kind of moving into the space for sure. Awesome. That's dope. I never thought about that. And then the other side of Barrington's dreaming is very cute. Um, the, the, the RTD side and, and the impact in the LCBO, fascinating. And then the other side of that, I guess, is the actual spirit. Mm-hmm. So like raw dog spirits. Um, you and I were talking previously about this, but I'd like to go into that a bit because that is like 
extra fascinating because I know obviously there's a few breweries, maybe less than a handful in the province that we can think of that are also dabbling in, in spirits in some way. Um, what's the spirit game like in comparison to say beer or even RTDs? Is there, obviously you mentioned before about the taxes, we were talking about that off air about like how much more the spirits tax is. Yeah. But what's the sort of general overview of um, that world? Uh, yeah, it's way harder is what I'd say. Like it's exceptionally hard. To, to do bottle spirits the taxes are really high the 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 retail landscape is very different um so it's a, as i mentioned to you guys before you know it's it's easy to get someone to trial a three dollar and fifty cent can of beer mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for someone to trial uh even a thirty dollar bottle of vodka let alone a you know forty dollar or like a somewhat of a premium priced product mm-hmm. um, so it's just a, it's a completely different game, right? Um, but in the context of you know our company and and adjacencies, for for us it was a it was an obvious natural fit. Like we're already doing most of those things. Um, we're already selling to a lot of you know bars and restaurants in you know in the province. So if I can sell them, you know if 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 we have a, if we have a great quality craft product that we can add on to, you know, beer, RTD or whatever else we're selling. There's, it's the same truck going to the same location that's delivering the same product. Right. So um, it's been, it was strategically, that was kind of part of it. Uh, And also, you know, obviously like for us, it also, you know, cause we saw, we definitely want to build out our RTD portfolio more and more with more variety. Um, And we see that, you know, our spirits bottles and the fact that they are all, you know, a lot of them are award winning. Uh, really adds credibility to our product. Like our vodka soda mm-hmm. is made, you know, arguably one of the best, you know, ranked one of the best vodkas in the world. Um, it's not, you know what I mean? So like, that's the, that's kind of, you know, the, you know, part of the, part of the strategic idea about having the bottles, but there's, I mean, there's a business element, but there's also like a brand element. Like we make the spirits. That's why like our spirits, our spirits company is separated. It's not lost craft, but it's different. It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, process different r&d different development um so hence why we've kind of separated you know everything out Mm, interesting that makes sense because that's a huge huge business when you're thinking about like like your competitors yeah like like you have like diageo yeah you have like diageo is a massive brand so i guess you're competing with everything like them and everything in their portfolio yeah Yeah, and the volume that's so sorry are you held to the same you're not held to so in spirits you are held to the same standards or it's a bit more fair than the rtd side oh it's easy to get in yeah with sales numbers are you not the same standards right no no it's more it's it's easier it's eat so it's so the rtd it's hard to get in very high sales threshold. This is pretty, it's a little bit different now, but I'm saying yeah. historically hard to get in high sales, th- high sales threshold spirits, easier to get in very low sales threshold, but you will, it's very hard to scale that sales threshold. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to make a lot of money at the bottled spirit game. Mm-hmm. Like, so to give you, you know, context, I'm giving you like rough, again, rough numbers. So like a $30, a $30 bottle of there, there's some small credits that you would get as a, as a craft producer, but let's call it like a $30 bottle of vodka. Like your net back to you when you sell it through the LCBO is like eight bucks. Right. Okay. So you factor in bottle liquid labor packaging, 
like, like, you know, stickers, whatnot, you, you can think like how much you making on that product, like yeah, a couple, <laughs> a couple bucks per bottle. Yeah. So now think how many bottles do you have to sell to make that worthwhile? Oh, right. Goodness. Yeah. It's, it's the margins are very tight, like ex- exceptionally tight. And we learned that the hard way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it's, it's just hard to make money at, at the end of the day, there is like three to four bucks that you can get as a small producer down there. There's, there are some rebates and incentives that you can get. Um, but even if it was five bucks a bottle, that's still, you know, again, margins how many are very low. Bottles do you have to sell at the end of the day, right? Yeah. yeah. How do dist- how do distilleries, mm. I'm talking about like craft distilleries in general, like a Dylan's, like what are they? I guess they restaurants are the years. huge thing, bars. I yeah. guess your focus is restaurants and bars. But they didn't get into the LCBO until more recently. Yeah, recently. Yeah. Like, and then they even got to SAQ in Quebec. So I feel like they just had, did a full like retail play, whereas before it was like mostly like at the distillery. They had, like, at their the, location. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there you can make I mean, at, at your location is where you make money at the end of yeah. the day. Right. Like I yeah. always, I talk to a lot of founders at breweries and, and I'll, like when I see this play out time and time again, where people think that the, the, the solution is, oh, I just need to sell more at bars and restaurants. And that's absolutely not the solution mm-hmm. because the cost to, when you start factoring the cost of like selling this, the, like the sales rep, the delivery costs, the the uh, like back office accounting. Now you have invoices, you're collecting keg deposits. You're doing, there's an infrastructure that you have to inbuilt to do that. Mm. And if you're not profitable at your location, it's very hard to be profitable external outside of your location, essentially. Right. Um, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say about that? I, I had it. Okay. So in Quebec, and this is what I don't know as much about Ontario. There's a really strong uh, local, Spirits push. Spirits scene. Yeah. Like push from the SAQ where they had like a Quebec distillery like section. Yes. There was all Quebec stuff. It's and like the equivalent of how the Ontario the one, how VQA is treated here. Right. Yeah. So I guess a double-sided question, like from both the LCBO and retail side, which I guess is only LCBO because of spirits, and then the consumer side, like is there a strong like local spirit scene in Ontario as far as like – Oh, because, you know, Quebec, there were so many gin places. So wherever we went, we were almost always able to go to a distillery because there was going to be some sort of fire, you know, or fire gin somewhere, mostly gin out there. They got other stuff, but the gin was really big. So, like, here, I know there's a few, but, like, is it as much of a thing for local craft? And I mean that as in, like, you say if we want to go to the SAQ and I'm like, let's get a new bottle of gin. And then, oh, what do we want? And you just look at them all and you buy the one with the pretty label or yeah, one that sounded nice or <laughs> one that maybe you'd heard about on Instagram. Like, does it does that exist Mostly here? Mostly Instagram. Mostly Instagram. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, is there something like that here where people can roll the dice on a $30, $40, $50 bottle because they're just, like, curious and want to try something new? I mean, I think some people do for sure. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's zero sales in it. I just think that it's, there is, it's, it's a hard thing. Like we wouldn't be in business if we were just doing bottled spirits, you know, like it wouldn't make any sense. Gotcha. Like it's as an adjacency and obviously like as we're building and scaling, I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's every startup doesn't make money. Right. Like, so it's not that impossible. I'm just saying that it's very hard. It's much harder than, than beer. Yeah, mm. like we were talking about the taxation and things like that on beer and, and not really considering what that looks like even for that business. Um, and one other thing, I think the loyalty that you mentioned earlier is also a key thing here because 
uh, you're loyal to like the spirits that you buy. Yeah. Like if you buy Grey Goose, you always buy a Grey Goose. You're not trying to drink it something else. Like Grey Goose <laughs> is the one, for example, you know, yeah. you don't go oh. and pick other things off of the shelf. Uh, you know, know what you're spirits. drinking. I try different gins and the, this whole thing is like a different array of products yeah. or bar, but normally speaking yeah you pick up the same thing every time so you're really like yeah, have I to guess penetrate right. you My really would have would to penetrate drank jim bean that was their shit yeah. so they that's all they drank they never bought jack daniels nothing else it was only yeah, jim bean. You you're right yeah wow, i never thought yeah. about that yes yeah, so i mean also, you have to break the load. i think i think we jokingly craig talked about this with beer but i think it's actually more significant in spirits is you, you, if you're absolutely right, brand is brand is so so much of a factor. Like mm-hmm. psychologically, it is exceptionally strong in spirits. So a big part of it, you know, in our in our development and like when we make our spirits, we're doing a lot of blind tastings with with everything from Smirnoff to Grey Goose to like you know premium to like sub premium, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you would be shocked at what those results yield, right? Like it is not. Like we certainly have had people that think that Smirnoff is the best vodka with infinitely premium, like call it premium price vodkas, like on the same tasting, on the, on the same tasting low, right? So when it, when you go blind, it really, I always say this to, to, to all my friends that, you know, with, with, with consumable products, especially when like you think that brand is involved, it's very interesting psychologically to understand that a lot of the time it's not what you think. It's, hmm. it's, that's actually why the can matters, to be honest, the can and the brand matters because it psychologically makes you think that it's better, but is it, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the, these are the, these are the things. And I think with spirits, it's just, it's hard to break that barrier. Even if your vodka is better, you know, someone's going to see the greatest spot, but like, no, like that's the, yeah, that's the one. That's, that's the one exactly yeah that's marketing in general that's the power of marketing you could tell me any pc runs faster or does better than anything that my macbook is doing and i don't give a fuck about that (laughs) i do not care i will we are not copying this is what we purchase and that's what it is i don't care what the iphone what the camera looks like on a samsung it's the iphone to the to the death so that's fair yeah that's what that's what marketing does yeah i'm gonna get my charger and then another can which one should we do next yeah is it the peach or the or the uh pink uh, maybe go pink and then peach okay. all right pink that bad boy up um yeah okay interesting so really what you is that your aim then with the the spirits and the rtds is to break into that and become a you know to break that brand loyalty for people or is it to because that's one thing which i imagine is going to be more difficult than converting new consumers that maybe like someone like me i don't really drink anything but beer I feel like I wouldn't even drink much if it wasn't for beer. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like, do you try and target? But the, but these are very interesting to me and I really enjoy drinking them. I actually kind of, it's fun right now to get to do this and not just drink beer all night. Like I always fucking do, you know? So like, mm. it's cool for, for to switch it up, but I, I need to be kind of forced as in like, have a reason to do it. Oh, this is really, and I really enjoy it. So like, what do you think is oh, oh, what what tack are you going to take are you, for for both the RTDs and for the spirits? Are you going to try and you know break that Smirnoff drinker away, or are you going to see if you can attack and get a whole new type of consumer for for all the products? I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I think that the um, you know, I think that with this like with the spirits in general, I think our objective is is really to uh, is really to have like more of a diversified, you know, product offering. And I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make like 
quality award-winning products. Like we, that's where I think that we win. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we win with like exceptional products that are, um, that are locally made. We're connected into like all the, all the same community organizations that work with us at Lost Craft now work with us with local spirit and, you know, Dahado to some extent. So, you know, for, for me, it's about building, you know, a great, you know, craft company um, that has, you know, multiple kind of diversified, you know, product offerings that, you know, I think is, can, can appeal to everyone. Cause to your point, you know, you like, we want the products that we offer to appeal to as many people as possible. So if we're just segmented to just beer, that doesn't really work. Gotcha. Okay. I, I do notice a lot of my beer drinking friends will post, say that, I don't know. I'm trying to think of you. I, I see a lot of them. I'm trying to think of a, a situational example, but I'm seeing a lot of, um, a lot of them drinking other things than beer and they do drink RTDs or they are having making themselves a cocktail with a local spirit or something. Cause I feel like the beer drinker is also interested, like just like I'm interested in trying new beers, I'm equally interested if we're going to try some spirits. I'm, I have zero interest in any of those mainstream brands. I don't think they're bad or anything. It's just like, it's not fun. Like, I don't know. I've had Tangeray a million times. I've had all these different um, spirits. So it's like, I prefer, I would like to see local spirits and be like, oh, this bottle looks cool. This RTD Dahada looks cool. Let me try that. Like, that seems fun. So I wonder if the craft beer consumer is still probably going to be, or the same type of, even if it's not the beer consumer, but the same type of um, explorational or adventurous kind of person who just wants to try some new shit um, would, uh, would be good for that. Is... Does that sound like it's a? Oh, I have a little uh, thing over there. If you want to plug it in, oh, it's gonna reach. Okay, yeah. I, what do you reckon as far as um, that's concerned? Yeah, I, I definitely think that. To your point, you're right. Like it's easier to sell to that consumer than try to convince someone that's been buying spirit off forever to 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 drink off spirit. Um, I think that the it's just it's just a higher it's just it's just definitely like a harder purchasing decision. Like that's what our data would suggest is that it's just it's more it's not impossible. It's just it takes way more time. It's not as easy. Like you know you could you can you know make you know you can create a cool can like of a lager or an IPA or some kind of traditional kind of craft beer and you can put into LCBO. It'll probably it may take long, but it'll sell eventually. Right. You could put 12 bottles of vodka on a shelf at the LCBO. It will, it could never sell. <laughs> right. You know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's very different. It's not, you mean. not the same. Do you have to build it up as like a lifestyle brand or something beforehand to like, say if you don't have like a tap, like even like say Dylan's is just the, the first one that comes to mind. That's local, like a gin place that we would often go to just cause it's there in, in Niagara. And it's fun for us when we're in Quebec. Oh, let's get this Ontario gin. You go there. You, you can't like buy a cocktail from memory, but you can, they'll give you tasters of everything to, um, you know, see how it goes and see what you like and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know if that was, I imagine that was kind of like, the beginning of it but yeah like do you, does it do you need to have a tasting room or do you need to like how how do you go about it then regardless of who you're trying to att- uh, um, attract like how do you break through like or is that something that you're working on figuring out yeah i mean if i had the answer i would <laughs> i wouldn't be here right now uh no uh fair I, I mean, like, look, I think I, my person, I mean, everyone has a different opinion on this. Uh, my personal opinion is 
and I think I have a different view from when I started Lost Craft for sure. Like I definitely think with craft, you need to be experiential. So I think I think that the the, the taproom side physical location is very very important um, because it's it's the opportunity for you to directly interact with your customer, right? Like I mean, and, and at the end of the day, that's that's like you know Smirnoff isn't doing that. There's no Smirnoff, you know. Um, Just showing it in there. Oh, there you go. It actually did it. Sorry, pink gin fizz. Let's fucking get into it. Finish that thought and then tell us about this one. Keep going. Cheers. Um, no, I just I just think that it's a way to differentiate yourself, right? That right. that allows you to have better, like you know, a, a better value proposition, you know, to to your audience. Um, and you know that that's whereas before I would have said no, 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 don't go physical. Again, it's like physical means like the scale of what you're trying to do, right? Are you trying to be build like mm. A $10 million massive distillery, or are you trying to build a destination location that people can come and like you're making some of the spirits up? Like, there's different models, right? Um, yeah. Do that. But I definitely think the physical location is very, you know, very important. It would be something that is on our list of things to do for sure. Perfect. That was my next question. Okay, amazing. That makes sense. Um, Pink Gin Fizz. So this is a now moving away from the Dehado products there. This is a local spirits. Um, product with your is it just like a straight up and down gin is it or is it a it's like gin uh real raspberry uh real lemon um some Mm. flavor um but more of like a really super refreshing summer can cocktail so refreshing yeah it's delicious tart nice yeah what is it five percent five percent yeah less than 10 grams so not overly sweet like 120 calories look at that guys not a lot of sugar not a lot of calories which is key. Yeah. We talk about that. Um, I like that the Tejado's got the calorie, the nutritional label on there. Yeah, I noticed um, the grapefruit has the. Oh, the grapefruit one does. Yeah, the one thirty on there. Yeah, I feel like that's a big play as well. I feel like the uh, you know one of the reasons that a lot of people switch from beer is, is straight up calories. I mean, you can't really. That's the worst thing probably it's about. It's like beer, all the fun, it? none of the. All the fun, none problems. of the problems. <laughs> Except for unless you drink too many in general. But that's true. Honestly, yeah, I'm like one of the converts to the RTDs. Of course, like I still drink beer, but I buy mostly um, RTDs now. But I buy them all season long. So I don't even care if it's just summer. Like I just like, I like mm-hmm. having them, especially because they just taste good. So it's like I could mix a cocktail or I could have this and pour it into a glass and there you go. Yeah. Um, and on ice and it's a good time this doesn't feel like i mean it's summery as fuck but it's like I don't know, it's yeah it doesn't feel it feels like having feel a cocktail <laughs> just like i would have a gin and tonic at any yeah. point in season so it just feels like that or a tequila soda like i'll take a tequila and put some yeah like um nice sparkling on it every now and then so it's like yeah it feels just like that and it's not once again like the dehadas it's not like over the top i feel like that's probably one of the problems that a lot of the rtds and even the ones that i grew up with in australia i mean we had rtds since forever oh because you guys had the jack and cokes kind of like yeah like you stuff. get i used to get jim beam and coke or well, i wasn't coke and cola um yeah. like this is cougar do you guys have that here sam cougar it was a uh bourbon Are you familiar i don't know what do you no? no, um, I don't think I've ever seen it here. Maybe it was Aussie or something. So we used to drink that a lot because I think it was cheaper than the Jim Beam one. <laughs> um, 
Stuff like that, but we had all different like flavored things and whatever, and they were always just so like the, there's one brand called UDL. I forgot what it stood for, but it was like they had raspberry, but it was like bright red, and it was just fake ass raspberry. It's so yeah, sweet. like the fake thing is the big problem to me. Is like when you just taste. That's why I'm saying I enjoy these because they're so light. Like you get the flavor there, and you get the point, but it's not like so blasting in your face. As like the sugar. you don't want a Coca Cola or something. That's no. the whole point. Like you're an adult. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> But I mean, like, Shots well, sorry, if you, sorry, no, if you drink coke, hey, do you? But I'm just saying, for the most part, it's the our our we should be kind of off the sugar for a bit now, right? Like, and that gives you the hangover, no? Isn't the sugar that messes you up? Yeah, I think so. No, I'm I think it contributes to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for everyone. I mean, I certainly like sugar, gluten. There's a whole bunch of you know for different people, carbs. You know, there's like different. I think there's different different strokes for different folks, but, gotcha. but yeah, I mean, I think definitely like high sugar, sure, certainly super high sugar products will hurt you down the road. It's just not sure. good for you. Yeah. It's yeah. just not good for you. In yeah, yeah. Whether they give you a hangover or not, like that's, <laughs> you're going to have you a problem be, eventually. Yeah. You should be cognizant of that. Um, yeah. I have a question, no, but right. I'll wait to you. Are, you. are we ex- done exploring the RTD section? Yeah, I was about to say, I feel like we good that you did yeah. that. I feel like Overall, I, I feel the vibe is that it's a great idea. Yeah, I think it's a, it a great idea. For um, was there anything else in that world then before Tiff gets into the next thing that you wanted to add to that? Or do you feel like that kind of nicely summarizes where you know, you're at with RTDs in the spirit world? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, that's definitely where we're at. I think there's just going to be a lot. I think you're going to see slowly and slowly a lot more innovation. You know, that's I think the future is. It's, you know, I think that there, there was the the seltzer craze, which is like the new flavor, the mix pack, the this. You know, like that's been what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but last year, you probably I don't know if you guys saw Cutwater, like a twelve or fifty. I forget what it was, like super high alcohol, like margarita, mm-hmm. that was like super popular at the LCBO. So now you're starting to see like different types of products. Mm-hmm. You know, like more like true cocktails, like high proof, uh, convenience, right? Like this is where I think that market is moving to. So there's, mm. there's definitely, I think a lot of, uh, you're going to see a lot of interesting innovation in that space kind of in, in the next few years for sure. Nice. Hmm. I will want to say that's what I saw in England in like 2016. So I think it's yeah, so interesting where we are. And then I feel like Quebec too is still ahead of there where, like the ready to drink gin and tonics were so popular for so example. many I too, loved by the time we left so them, many you know. and like it was a yeah i loved, loved and they were them. all local brands yeah like they weren't even like big were these ones that cut water and all those are they like big multinationals or from like you know the big dogs or are they like you know smaller local companies cut water's labat okay. well i mean it, it wasn't labat originally i think but it was i think bought by labat or- mm, good for yeah them. Okay. So you're so, talking about like the gin and to- you get that nice eight percent gin and tonic type vibe, right? Yeah, that's yeah. what Quebec had. It's, and it's were great. almost like a reverse trend. Yeah, like high yeah. proof, you know, higher calorie. Uh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and you know, but it's it's more of the drink that you don't crush ten of. <laughs> yes, right? definitely. It's just convenient to take it out because yeah. you don't want to bring a fucking bottle of gin and then all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, yeah. they were perfect. Part they were perfect for the park. Quebec, obviously, like they create things for the park in yeah. mind, like drinking yeah, in parks in mind. That's yeah. like the first thing I feel that's on there. Yeah. 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 Or anything lush. 
being lush specific, you know, basically. Yeah. Um, and a huge distillery culture in general. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about craft beer. Let's get back to the craft beer side of things. Cause you've been here for like, it would it be a decade almost? Is this your decade year next coming year. up or is it 2015 or 20? I know we started around the same time as yeah, in next, we started agency at the same time. You started Lost Craft. Lost Craft same time, right? When, when did you launch, by the way? Was it 20, like uh, summer? October 2015. Okay. okay. Oh, we met like December 2015. Yeah, we were right in the beginning. Oh, we hit you right in the beginning. At um, the local in Liberty Village. So you'd like just tipped off. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, continue, that was a local. So um, you would have seen a lot of comings and goings in the industry. And the conversation we were having most recently is like, why are so many craft beer closings? Because we're closing because we have noticed a lot and there we pulled, you know, numbers, data, we shared a bunch of closings. I would love to hear your thoughts and opinion on what you're seeing on the inside that would be causing this pullback, these closures, things like that, these mergers. You've also, which I'm interested about, you've acquired breweries yourself. What was the sextant? Yes. Which was like back in the day. Um, and just other, you've done, you've made these types of moves before. So what, what have you seen and like, what would be some standout reasons as to why a business does not succeed in this industry? Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of the lessons that you've, if you've, I mean, you guys are kind of in that tech space to some extent as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, I think that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of. What happened in tech is very similar in craft beer, um, you know. Whereas, where you know, whereby a lot of companies, you know, expected that you can just just grow your top line. It doesn't matter how much you lose. Just grow, 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 and someone will buy you, and that works if someone buys you, right? But if they don't, and you don't have a path to profitability, you're in a you know challenging kind of situation. You know, I think that there was a lot of hot money that went into craft beer when it was booming. Mm. Uh, everyone wanted to start a brewery. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of, you know, investors were patient and said, okay, well, this will turn around, this will turn around, this, this will turn around. And at some point, the music stops. And I think that, you know, COVID certainly didn't help. I think that that certainly was a shock to the system. But I think that even if COVID didn't, didn't happen, I think we'd be in a similar situation, me personally, anyway, because I think... I know how difficult it is to make money at craft beer. It is exceptionally hard. Like, because when you really fact look at like all of the costs, the operations, the salespeople, warehousing, product development, ex like go, go down the line. Um, it's a very challenging business to, to make money at. Um, so that's at the end of the day, the real, you know, the fundamental issue that is, is that there just aren't enough breweries that make money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's um it's definitely an an odd time. And another big factor um is the the tax thing, which has been a big conversation uh, recently. You and I were talking a few months ago and you sent me we talked about it in our episode the other day, but um that TVO special where a bunch of brewery owners in, in Ontario were just discussing the the Ontario tax and and I know that you've sort of got some numbers there to give us an example, but um essentially the 
you can watch and listen to the episode 154 because we go into it in sort of detail, but you'll be able to probably give us a bit more perspective on a real life example of what something costs from a producer's side. But, you know, the the beer tax in, in um, Alberta, I, I think you told me, you mentioned it off air, I think it's like 10 cents per liter. And over here, it's like 60 cents plus another 60 cents if you're going to sell it through the LCBO, not to mention these other taxes. So mm. there's... A, 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 essentially an outweigh like a outweighed amount of tax on Ontario breweries that is a concern for a lot of breweries here um yeah I'd love to hear just your thoughts in general on that and then we can run through that example to to show sort of what the the typical cost would be yeah yeah I mean I think let me start by saying I'm not gonna lobby against something that benefits me um but uh, but i would say as a as an overarching kind of point i think what i what i just more generally would say is i think, I think tax is an important and it benefits everyone and there's different graduating scales of tax that we can focus on and you know i haven't dug into every the detail on every provinces because there are nuances and there's graduated scales of tax and whatnot um but you know if, if Ontario is the highest tax province in the country, that's, it would make sense to argue that we should be lower, you know, have less tax. Um, that being said, I think my, you know, when I look at the, like the Ontario beer tax as a percentage of, you know, a can of beer, uh, the vast majority of the can of beer uh, is not taxed. It's ingredients and um, call it this, this overhead charge, right? And overhead can be a lot of things. It can be rent, labor, utility, like, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff that go in marketing, right? There's a bunch of stuff that go into that number. Um, so I just, you know, my, my general view is that, you know, you can lower tax and that, that can potentially solve the problem. But let's call it if, if taxes per, per can of product, like rough numbers are, you know, 10% of the, the, the cost of the product, right? Is lowering 10% what needs to be focused on or the 90%, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's, I think that's the, that's the calculus that I'm saying that is probably where I think, you know, where, you know, I think that the industry, the industry issues are built, are based off, um, you know, struggles with demand, right? Beer is not growing like it was before. Uh, and breweries are very capital intensive industries, right? You have to spend a lot of money, put a lot of equipment in long-term leases, big investments to make to, if you want to physically make the product yourself. Um, so when you have like, you know, when you have highly fluctuating demand and limited brand loyalty and a lot of, and, and kind of ebbs and flows in terms of like what people want that's a very hard business to run with a large physical location. Right. Um, so that's where, you know, I, you know, I personally think that, and this is kind of, we talked about this before about why, you know, Ontario's craft beer scene has struggled and BC's is, um, you know, and there's structural elements, to, I think all of this, but I mean, from where I sit, you know, I think that, you know, historically anyway, over the last five years or so within, you know, within like, the, I don't know if it's an OCB or the, the Canadian brewers, all these like industry organizations really heavily pushing bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar, bricks and mortar. 
And then, yeah, and then you had, you know, beer media or writers or whatnot arguing bricks and mortar equals quality. Not necessarily. Not like, us. That wasn't us. <laughs> but, you know, not necessarily actually doing. Or did you do a blind taste test? Did you actually compare all of these different beers? It's just like psychologically, it's like, no, they, they're, they're, they're passionate about this because they built a facility. Well, you know, what tends to happen is, and this kind of snowballs into the industry. So you build a facility. You're struggling, you know, the demand isn't there. The beer on the pro- on the product on the on the shelf now is stale. So people consume the beer, it's not that good. And then, you know, you 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 have this loop where now it's it's affecting the industry, right? Healthy healthy breweries benefit everyone because then the quality the, the quality of the beer gets better, everything gets better, more consumers are attracted. But when you have a lot of people struggling, that really hurts the industry, right? Because people are coming out with less beers less good beers quality beer can suffer the whole nine yards like the commentary from bc is like you know people love bc beer because the quality is great you know like and i'm not saying the quality is bad in ontario at all but i'm saying you know certainly certainly there's you know certainly we as an industry we're not where i think i would have wanted us to be five years ago or 10 years ago when we started the business for sure right in what sense as far as like the the progressive maybe ideologies surrounding the contract stuff. Cause I feel like I agree with you on that. That's something that we were vocal about here a lot. And it seems a little ridiculous. Definitely a waste. I would say a waste of focus for sure. Like when I believe the priority should be like, who's the enemy say, which is big beer. Yeah. You should be doing everything to prop up everybody in the arena in order to make sure that Mm -hmm. they have all the opportunities to put a dent in the larger competitor, which is the goal, like coming together to do that. So I do, I would agree. I think you're saying that it's like misguided. There was like a waste of time. There was a waste of time probably focused on contract brewing and what that meant for beer as opposed to just, hey, shouldn't we be doing everything to make sure that, you know, craft can, you know, take a dent out of, out of the big beer which is like, maybe we should be promoting, maybe all the marketing efforts should go there. Maybe we should even have media that we put together to just promote everybody all the time to make sure that we're getting this messaging out as opposed to going into the nitty gritty of what it means to be a brewery or whatever that is. Are you saying there was time wasted there? Oh, for sure. I mean, I just think, yeah, I mean, I think it was, yeah, to your point, I think I personally just think it was misguided. I mean, obviously we faced the brunt of it because we were on the contract side for a while until we took, until we moved to High Park. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still do some contract business for like our, our larger commercial kind of production. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the bigger, uh, the bigger issue and everyone can have their own reason that, and they can say whatever we want, but we know where the industry is, right? It's just, it's not where I think everyone wants it to be. Um, there are a lot of breweries closing, uh, consumption isn't, isn't going up the way that, you know, anyone would have wanted to, or I think it's less about consumption. It's more about share. Like we are like the craft industry is not taking share away from the big producers, mm-hmm. right? Where our BC is 30%. We're not, mm-hmm. not even close. Oh, so BC is 30%. 30%. I didn't know that. Wow. Wow. Where are um, we? Where's Ontario? I think it's like 10, 15%. Interesting. Everyone has different numbers. I mean, I, you know, it's definitely not, thir- it's definitely not 30. I can tell yeah. you that for sure. And is this quality? Uh, Sorry, is that, yeah. is that quality you think is playing a role there? 
I mean, who knows, right? I mean, I haven't done the analysis on the taxes and whatnot, but I think mm-hmm. certainly, I mean, what they say is like the quality of beer is better. I say like just anecdotally, when I go to BC, it's hard to find domestic brands on tap. Like if you go downtown, like, I mean, unless you're going to like some major chain and even major chains have a lot more craft than they, they do. Uh, they do uh, in BC. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think... I do think that, you know, the beer store monopoly had, has definitely had an impact. I think Ontario, Ontario's market structure, which is changing now, which I think to some extent will be for the better kind of in the long term. Um, I think that, uh, I think that it's, it's definitely going to, it's moving in the right direction, I think structurally. Uh, but at the end of the day, we can, we can pontificate about why we are where we are, but we are where we are. And I think that, you know, there are certainly definitely contributing factors that, that play into that. And I think that, you know, a big part of, of what I think the focus has been for a long time has been a lot of infighting um, within craft brewers and less, less of a, let's win this together and attack the big share. Like what I've never, I never understood why people are, you know, fighting with people that are, that are holding 15% share versus fighting with people that are holding 85 what's easier to do it makes no i mean it literally makes no sense yeah but you know it's it just it is what it is so sorry so would you say that the taxes are not as large of an issue then or what is your thought about this because again we're from the outside so i'm asking because i am curious as to what causes so like infighting seems like a bit of an that's an interesting perspective there and which i understand and when we were reading the stats we were just like oh my gosh breweries can't make so any money because they're paying so much in taxes all of this is like the government's eating this up so your margin's so low when you consider all the other things that are on it like labor general operating costs all of that stuff do you think that like that is a more of a minor role than even what Craig and I were thinking, for example, or is that still a major part of it? I think if you had to wave a magic wand, right, Mm -hmm. taxes are the easiest fix, right? Because it'll affect everyone immediately. So I I understand the, and arguably, like, again, if, if in fact, Ontario is the highest, you know, the highest tax region, then, you know, there's probably an argument to be made that we can, that the government should tax us a little bit less. Um, You know, my approach is like, I'm not a lot like I'm like from where I grew up. It's like, it's, it's, I just have this, a different mentality. I work with what I'm given with. I don't com- I'm not here to complain about ta- I knew I got into the business knowing that the taxes were there. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like now crying, like I, like, like from my perspective, it's like, that's not, I can't, I shouldn't, I'm not saying that it, maybe there is a fair argument to say, you know, we should lower our taxes, but my mentality is, okay, how do I make this business work given the framework that exists now? Right. Mm-hmm. I've got yeah. to go to that something's going to change. And I think that, you know, that's, you know, generally speaking, my perspective, I think that you can make money at craft. Like you can make, I mean, people, there are breweries that make money. It's not that every brewery is not making money. Mm-hmm. It's that I would say many breweries are not making money. Right. Yeah. And there's probably different reasons for each that each brewery are facing that, you know, dilemma at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I think more of the, my, my, if you asked me, I think that certainly tax relief will help. And I think that in fairness, you know, COVID impacted every brewery differently. It obviously cut a lot of breweries that had a big on-premise business. It, it hurt significantly. So getting a bit of tax relief is, is not, I think an unfair ask, 
but say, but I guess I'm just, I'm just realistic in saying, I still don't think that's going to prevent a lot of breweries from closing. Hmm. Right. It's you know, just that's like a, a relief. Yeah. It's a yeah. relief, but I don't think it's sort it necessarily solves the core, some of the core problems, you know, with what's going on in the industry. That's all. So there's gotcha. fundamental operating issues, for example, or inner, inner conflict that you feel might. Well, you know, I talked to, you know, and this is like, there's, there's this thing that, I mean, when I talked to Craig about this previously, we were talking, we were chatting and, and he had said, you know, I don't look at prices when I, yeah. when I buy beer, right? Okay. And Unfortunately for our finances. finances. <laughs> hey, I'm dedicated. <laughs> I support business anyway, so whatever. Uh, that's great. That's great. That's that's absolutely great. Uh, but you know, it goes back to to kind of like the like my philosophy. Like when we started the company, it was really we want I want to I want to take share. I want to grow. Well, I want to grow craft beer in general. And if beer is declining, where the growth is going to come is from converting people that aren't drinking craft beer into craft beer. It's not necessarily attracting um you know craft drinkers from other craft drinkers there's no there's not a lot of value in that, especially when consumption overall is declining mm. so the way that i think you do that is you do that with uh approachable beer to some extent right and you could also have more unique beers but it, it needs to start somewhere right and then secondly like there has to be some level of price parity like when you start when you know when it's one thing you know, it's one thing for me to say, okay, you know, craft beer prices are, let's say a, I'm giving rough numbers. A Stella is $3 and craft beer is three fifty. Okay. Now that makes, maybe that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't, whatever, but it's close enough. Whereas if you're saying a Stella is $3 and a craft beer is $6, now you're like, well, wait, this is a lot more. Right. Mm-hmm. And now if you're saying it, you know, if you're saying, well, it's the tax that's the problem, but wait, you're charging every, we all know this, every brewery is generally speaking, charging more than mainstream macro, you know, macro brands. So at the end of the day, um, you know, craft breweries get a benefit on tax already versus big brewers. And obviously big brewers have massive scale. So it's very, it's different. It's not, it's not necessarily, but we have that advantage, right? We start with that advantage against the big brewers. Mm. Um, so, you know, my general view is like, if we really want to take a dent into the industry, we need to be more efficient. You can't, the premium here, it's, uh, you know, for more, again, every business is different, but I think it's very hard to justify like double the price or like 50% more. Like if you start, if you start saying craft beer is 50% more than mainstream beer, I think no matter how good the quality is, it's going to be hard to really convert people. But if you can get closer, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to be buck a beer, but I think that you have to be competitively priced in a way where you're really pushing the consumer to say, Hey, why don't I give this a try? It's not that much more money. If it's any much more, you know, if it's, if it's any more money at all. And um, that's where I think that you're going to see much bigger share taken away from macro brands. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you, if, if, if this, if, you know, craft beer just becomes this, you know, escalating price war in the reverse, meaning like prices just keep going up and up and up and up. I, 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 especially over the next couple of years, given where the economy is, I think that's going to, it's, it's going to be infinitely worse, mm. like infinitely, infinitely worse for, for, you know, the craft industry overall. 
So every, at the end of the day, my point is like, we need as a collective industry to be more efficient. It's not like you can't that we need to be able to kind of price closer to parity with bigger macro brands in order to truly effectively compete with bigger macro brands. Right. What about breweries who maybe aren't specific? Because I think there's like maybe two types of breweries. There's really one who's trying to compete and go for their gateway. And then there's the others who make, for example, you know, expensive pastry stouts with crazy ingredients or heavily hopped IPAs that cost thousands of dollars per, um, you know, per batch of hops. Um, I guess it's probably, you're probably talking more to those who are, who are aiming at competing with the big guys and taking market share away from AB and such. Is that accurate? Well, what we're talking about is growing the industry, right? Okay. I don't think blueberry pastry stouts are going to grow the industry. <laughs> no, so maybe not everyone is aiming to do that. No, 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 exactly. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's fair. Uh, you know, but what I'm saying is if we're talking about why is the industry struggling, the industry struggling because it's not growing. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that that brewery could easily like the pastry syrup for them is fine. Like again, everyone's business model is different. I think that there is a business model. I jokingly say there was probably a business model where I started like a small brew pub, didn't have any employees focused on just operating that brew pub in like exceptionally well. I think there's a good business that you can make a good living doing that business and have very limited staff. Another business is I want to be steam whistle. I want to be, I want to be this big brewery, with a huge production facility and, you know, selling everywhere, completely different business model. Right. Um, and if your argument is, well, you know, we should, in order to grow, we just have all these small breweries in every different region doing these different things. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that, maybe that's possible, but that's not where the mark, that's not how the market is structured in Ontario. The market is structured in Ontario. There are like a lot of these smaller breweries and brew pubs, but there's a lot of mid-size production facilities. Mm-hmm. Not big, not small. Somewhere is that like in the what middle. is Bellwoods considered a mid-size? No, Bellwoods definitely a bigger. They're considered uh, massive. Then. What's a mid-size? Because they have two. So what's yeah? What's mid-size? Well, I'd say like let's call it between five to fifteen thousand hectoliters, maybe. Oh, like- okay. I, I can't think off the top of my head, but I know what you mean. Okay, so Bellwoods is much more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, I think this is interesting because another, yeah, sure. Another thing, Peach, another thing that I was speaking about or Craig and I were talking about was the price of beer because then my immediate thought, and this is because I'm not con, I was, I'm not thinking of it in terms of the big beer because I'm not in beer. So I wasn't thinking of it like, okay, if we are looking or aiming to battle against and be competitive in pricing, we need to be mindful of what a current beer drinker is spending and whether or not they'd be willing, which would be very hard without a lot of education to convert somebody to want to spend, to give up 50% extra, for example, for a can or whatever it may be. Um, I was just like, they should just raise the price of beer because to me, it always just feels like if the costs are increasing, what do we do when costs are increasing on our end? All of our software has gone up. We were just talking about tech earlier. All the tech, all the tech companies really like 30%, 40% on software, for example. So we use that. So we build that into our pricing, which means our pricing went up and it goes up every year. And where I felt like craft beer generally stays the same. And to me, I'm like, how is this feasible to stay in the same pricing, which seems like a three-ish $50 mark all the time, somewhere somewhere around there with like, I think Bellwoods' beer was like 410 for the Bellweiser or something. So... 
to me, I was like, oh, so maybe they're just being like, oh, well, our production's more expensive, the product's better, we're gonna, you know, whatever better is, our product's better, we need to charge more for it. And to me, that just made sense. But are, are, what do you, what is your thought on this then? Is it that there are two technically approaches to business where in the end you charge as much as you want, but you might fail or you might, um, or yeah. you, or it's like, you're not going to expand the industry basically. Like, do you feel that beer is fairly priced or do you think there's room for it to be priced higher specifically craft beer? I, Again, this is this is less this is less an attack on a specific brewery. Yeah, just your opinion because I'm actually in my mind I'm just like put it, price it higher, price it higher, and the people will learn to um, the people will learn to pay for it. Like get the consumer base no, used to it as opposed to. Yeah, like, like in the end, eventually they're just gonna pay. It's like you kind of force the market in that way, but it almost sounds like there's this thing where you could try to force the market, but they're like, no, I'm just gonna buy Budweiser instead. Then if you try to do that. Yeah, I, again, it just goes back to like who your who your audience is, right? And I mean, there's also like elements of like the macro, like what's going on in the economy. But I'd say, um, look, I think that my point, I guess, about it is, I, I just, I, if you ask my personal opinion, I just, think, I do think that craft beer is too expensive, and I think that the like the like pricing has affected adoption. Um, so that's just, that's my general kind of view. It's not targeted at necessarily one specific brewery. I think it's an overarching, you know, issue. And, you know, I think that every business has different reasons why, you know, why their cost structures are different. Like some breweries have lots of sales reps. Some breweries have lots of social media managers. Some breweries have marketing man, you know, like there's, there's a lot of, this is where I say this overhead number is very different for every single business. So it's hard to really say that, you know, what's the fair price. But what I'm saying is more generally is in order to effectively compete with macro brands, you have to be within the realm of reason to macro brands, because if you're way more expensive, then you're not really, you're, 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 you're really trying to compete at a different type of, you know, in a different at a different level or, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Bellwoods can charge whatever they, they're going to charge. Good for them. Every, it's, you know, it's capitalistic. Like they can charge whatever someone's willing to pay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying is that, that person that grabs a six pack of Coors Light is not, is highly unlikely to, to spend double to get any craft beer. doesn't matter who it is. Right. That's my, you know, that's kind of more my point. Mm. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's where I think you have to be smart from a business perspective. You have to know it's hard. Like, this is what I keep telling. Like if, if, you know, making money in crap beer is hard. It is, it is a hard business to do. Um, so it's not easy. So when I say I don't have all the answers, it's not perfect, but I do know like in order to, in order to really move the needle, I think we, uh, you know, more broadly, I think we have to be more efficient in general, you know, and, that's where I say that I think that the majority of like taxes are one thing, but I think there's a lot of other expenses that are going into breweries that are, you know, also pushing up prices essentially. Mm-hmm. I was even thinking yeah. that go. Sorry. I was going to say like, if you had asked me this question and said, okay, the only way I'm just going to give you like a simple, simple kind of analogy. 
if Stella, I'm just using Stella as a beer. If Stella was at three dollars a can, and you and and you tell you tell me the only way your business is going to make money selling a lager is going to be selling at fifty percent higher than Stella. Like that's mm-hmm. the price for you to make money. I would never do that business because I'm like, it's just for me. I just think it's too big a gap. I think there is a premium that someone will pay, but I think if if in order to make money, you have to price so much higher than a lot of your competition. That's that's part of the reason why we're not in that eighty percent. Eighty percent, like not everyone. Like I would say, it's it's pretty rare for a lot of people to buy things without looking at the price. Mm-hmm. Right? right. At the end of the day, there is likely eighty percent of that eighty percent of consumers that are in the situation where they're they're maybe not fully price conscious, but they're somewhat price conscious. And if you're way off on pricing, then you know it's going to be very very challenging to get them into the space mm. and i think for, from a perception perspective i think that when all the when, when like the industry as a whole has gotten very expensive it impacts perception where where those people are like no i'm not going to touch craft beer it's too expensive mm, gotcha i was just looking up some of the prices now to see kind of real examples so you mentioned steam whistle we we're talking about them before so i, I remember from uh, another time I was looking it up there, they, I just double checked They're $3.65, right? You mentioned Stella. I checked Stella, also $3.65. So it looks like Steam Whistle has particularly priced as like a premium sort of domestic craft beer. And I look for Bud. Budweiser's $3, so it's 65 cents more. Then I looked up Old Style Pilsner, which is kind of like a lower position mm-hmm. beer and that's two dollars 35 oh my gosh which wow. means that's so, that's so that, that's that right <laughs> so that means that stella and steam whistle are more than 50 percent more than that two dollars 35 um mm-hmm. beer which is an interesting position i'm just thinking about positioning so it's like if you're looking at that you know if people are just price conscious they'll buy that old style pills i bet there's something cheaper that i don't know exists like What's PBR is probably cheaper or something. PBR, yeah, that's a good point. PBR. This is interesting because what's the stat? It's Pabst? like different position, different positioning here. Pabst is two thirty five as well. There you go. Okay. So like that's looks the that's for a, a tall boy, right? Yeah. So it's like a bottom wow. rung. So yeah. that means what a what deal, this, right? And <laughs> Except I, the product is pretty good. So, so uh, I get what you're saying that like if you're trying to compete with that, it has to be on a price basis, and it's almost got to be a lager because there is no macro IPAs unless it's a bought out brewery like Mill Street or something like that. So there's the breweries that are doing that. Clearly, Steam Whistle know what they're doing. They, they're, they're positioning themselves like a premium yeah. uh, craft, local craft uh, option, uh, uh, similar-ish to Stella as far as well, the exact same price. And I bet that's probably where they got the price from. Um, and I bet there's probably other similar you know, premium import because it's still a Belgian beer, so premium import type shit. And then... So you got those types of breweries, and that's what's to do with growing the breweries. So you're saying that it's probably th- the way beer is going to grow, craft beer is going to grow, is that craft breweries need to compete on that price level with those larger breweries to take market share away from them, or it's kind of stay stagnant. Then you've got the other breweries that we talk about that make a lot of the hoppy stuff and whatever that have no intention of LCBO. They've got a small thing um, and they don't really give a fuck about that. They're making their stouts and barley wines and haze and all that stuff. And they're just like circle jerking for people like me who are keeping them alive and they're cool with that. 
Um, and they've got their own little scene. It's interesting, that type of world, the Hype Brewery specifically have their own little world and they have different price points completely. They have different ingredient uh, costs. They've usually got smaller batches, so therefore smaller batches ends up costing you more. It's just the way, you know, economics, economies of scale work. So it seems like that's like the two different sort of models. There's like the compete with the big boys or don't give a fuck and do your own thing and and you're not really trying to grow beer you just want to make a lot of these guys tell me on the pod they make the beer they want to drink mm-hmm. so if i was to start a brewery for myself i would want to make that stuff yeah i know it's not a smart business though but i want I, that's what i would want you know to do. what now i'm wondering even as you're saying it i wouldn't even say it's not a smart business it's just different intentions and this is just even through this conversation well, yeah. i find it very interesting because for example when we're thinking about, say, Patron, for example, or even if we're talking about Grey Goose earlier, I can get some prices. I don't know. If, I don't think Grey Goose. Grey Goose is not making Grey Goose for the Smirnoff drinker. It seems like they just probably don't give a fuck about the Smirnoff drinker at all, and they're just going to make Grey Goose to make Grey Goose. So, is there marketing, an education, or some level of positioning? And this is larger, and this is so much bigger, probably in forward thinking, maybe. I don't know. But it almost feels like it is fair to be like, say, like a third moon. Maybe they're not they're not going to an old-style Pilsner person, for example, right? So they don't not need maybe, to compete like, on price because they don't not. give a fuck about that person. I, no, I'm not sure I say they don't, but funny? likely they don't give based on the beers they're making. They're not trying to approach be approachable to you. No, they're not that much more expensive. They're way cheaper than I thought. What's a, like, what's the price of So beer? like an IPA, like a single, I'd say 6.5. IPA is like five dollars something. I thought it okay. would be like eight dollars something. But that's saying so that's fifty percent more. So right, but it's a, but it, there's more than fifty percent the ingredient costs because yes. of the hops. So no, so it makes those sense. In, those New Zealand hops are so expensive. Yeah, and you have to contract them like a year out. Like you, it's it's a ser- the hop shit is like for those types of beers that need those volumes are very. It's intense. Well, it's we like, would hope anything that you pay more for than what a common price would be is because the ingredients, the quality of the material, whatever you're purchasing at a higher price, you would hope the whole point is that there's a difference between Banana Republic. And that's why brands have, technically feels like the smart business model would be that you own various brands at different levels. So maybe everyone's not going to understand this if I say this, but Diageo probably, I don't know if they own Smirnoff, but they probably own an equivalent of a Smirnoff and then have like a very high priced, um, um, very high priced beer, a high priced alcohol in there. So you'd have all these levels and maybe one level gets you the approachability and you're actually moving people through your sales cycle, but they don't even realize in the end that they're kind of going through that. Or maybe they stay forever in one tier, but it doesn't matter because you're still getting their money anyways. I mean, because, that would be the optimal situation. Like now I feel that. like what would be great is for like me to own Third Moon and own like yeah, yeah. Seamless so and you own like, like then it's like, all coming to you. We're business people, but we also like that stuff. So, so I yeah. feel like we'd find a way to do both. A quick example, I won't say who told me this in case I don't want it out there. Yeah. A friend who owns one of those breweries that we're talking about, he said in 2020, the base malt cost $29 a bag. And then last month it was $45 a bag. That's a 35% increase. So in the scope of the last three years, um, the price of the grain has gone up by 35% and the cost of his beers, if I'm not mistaken, has not changed. So mm-hmm. he's eating a 35% cost. That's not talking about hops because on that pod, we talked about hops. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I uh, assumed, I was like, oh, maybe the grains had, a, and he also said grain had a bad harvest in the last year or maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's less grain. Therefore, the demand doesn't decrease, but the supply has decreased. Therefore, of course, the price is going to go up. So 
there are increasing prices in the world of hops, in the world of greens. And there, I have been told by other people in the past that at the at this point, at least for those breweries, I can't speak for the ones we're looking at, the LCBO and Steam Whistles, because that's a different economy of scale. But the consumer is kind of at the point where that's as much as they'll pay, because then they'll start to complain. I think they re- they've learned like the hard way by putting it up. And I'm talking like 25 cents a can, they'll put it up and then people lose their shit there. Even in that world of the beer nerds where maybe I don't really look, I, mm. I sort of do, but I, I, I'm like, well, I want it. So even if I'm like, oh, that's a lot, I'll just get it anyway. Um, th- there are there are definitely are price conscious individuals there. It's just a different type of price conscious. It's not $2.35 to three sixty five. It's like, you know, maybe five fifty to seven fifty or something like that yeah. for, for one can. So it's, but, it's, it's interesting. Go. But here's, here's, I think the thing that you have to understand, like, is your, you can take this at a personal level and then, and then, you know, amplify this. Uh-huh. Would you say that your alcohol consumption has gone up or down? Like you personally, In, not to put you on the spot. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> so like as, as a general kind of thing. It's the same. I keep it the same because the same, I have. Yeah, but the same. That's what I was going to say. I was going to get at. Right. So your alcohol consumption is the same. Mm-hmm. So you're right. If for breweries that want to just kind of, let's call it like stay status quo, make the products that they're making and then rotate them through, then that you're right. Then attracting you is what they want. They want mm-hmm. the consumer to just, but in order to grow, if the, if the objective is to grow, most businesses go into business wanting to grow and expand, you need to attract more people. Right. So mm-hmm. that that's my point. Like, it's like, yeah, you're right. Like I think for, I think that works for a segment of it works. It works within this context of this 15%, whatever audience mm. of craft drinkers, it yeah. does not work for the majority of the market. Right. And the Would you, point is, that's probably fair. That, like, yeah. That's, that's kind of, that's a hundred percent fair because uh, in the end, no, a hundred percent, that's a hundred percent correct. Because that means you have to know that, all right, well I've hit, that's it. I've hit my cap. Like in, if we're not converting new people, but then that means what I'm producing. Week, that's why. Yeah. But it's like, and that's your cap. And that's because it. I think so, they can't physically make anymore. Mm-hmm. So like, but they also like they'll sell out, but it's not like, I don't know if there's a way for them without getting a capital investment to be able, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know. I don't want to say treading water, but I think you'd see what I'm getting at. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if they're like, there's this massive influx of money where they're like, ah, oh, sweet. Well, you know, let's buy six more fermenters now and we can fucking ramp this up and then try and get more people to buy this stuff. Like, I feel like they're almost are like. Well, and then the way though, there would be to increase your economic capacity, which would come from diversification of your product, potentially investment in marketing and a different more to a larger audience. Because if you got more people to drink, your beer then you would have it which means you might maybe, intentionally be saying yeah i'm gonna cap here and i'm mm. not which is fair because everyone can run their business the way they are yeah but if there is more of that then we also would have to understand that the that craft beer won't grow <laughs> so in the end if it does end up being that where it's like hey we're i'm happy to be here which there's nothing wrong with everybody gets to grow their own business that almost feels like then that is that's that's going to kind of be it or it's going to move very slowly because there's not enough people vying for big beer to take it down by creating these products, by introducing, you know, new approachable beers to bring more people in. I think it is a very interesting, that's actually, that's kind of like a, yeah, that's a kind of a problem in the, in the end. It's fine. Everyone gets to do what they do, but that would for sure contribute because those people are Mm. arguing, making really phenomenal beers. 
and then not enough people will get to try them to even know. The only other pathway is that someone drinks, say, like an approachable lost craft beer. They get into the world of craft beer and then, go and then eventually find their I, I way think that's through the, that's all the these breweries and do that. Because those guys can't put their shit in the LCBO because the LCBO will mishandle yeah. it and it will be a poor experience, which is kind of what, Sean, you were saying earlier. Like if they miss, if you, if you go and buy the beer and it's old and you're going to try it and you're going to be, oh, this sucks, yeah. but like you didn't get it fresh and people don't know about canned dates because I see IPAs in the LCBO that are six, eight, ten months old. Yeah, I never buy haze or it's any IPAs like the, from LCBO. It would be really beneficial to to fund um, more contract breweries. <laughs> Sorry, to what, do you know to, what I mean? You kind of need somebody who has a lower overhead, who mm -hmm. who's happy to produce more approachable beers that can get people into the craft beer. You basically need the I mean, the like higher. A, you need the brand awareness for you. craft beer. Bless you as a whole. So you need the awareness funnel almost for craft beer to increase. Like you need that right. before we're getting even then, down to what's in, considered a premium price. As like I'm paying six dollars, seven dollars, and maybe there's not enough good in that category. So how would craft beer ever grow? Because it'd be too hard of a leap for somebody to go from paying two eighty five for a beer. And then being convinced to pay five dollars for a can, for example, they're still the minority, though. Like even Sean was saying, like the 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 breweries that aren't aiming at the large uh, demographic, you know, like the, the the people at large, they're the minority for sure. If there's mm -hmm. three fifty, four fifty, whatever it is in Ontario, breweries in Ontario, there's a fraction, a small fraction. I think Sean, you said like fifteen percent. That's probably a fair number. Are the breweries that are hyper nerd and that aren't proactively going after that and then there's a whole another bunch if you really want to get down to it that i think are like local breweries who also aren't that aren't making the crazy hyper stuff but they're also not doing lcbo uh price plays either to try and take away market share so just while there's people who are you know selling their double ipas that have got thousands of dollars worth of hops in them for mm -hmm. six seven eight bucks there's equally neighborhood-ish type of breweries. I can think of a few off the top of my head. I don't want to say it because I don't want it to come across in a bad way because it's not. But, you know, a brewery that's in a small town, there's one town, a one brewery town, like those yeah. type of ones, where it's just a neighborhood spot. They can their shit. They might have one LCBO listing, but it's like a Belgian wit or something yeah. that's maybe not um, going to compete with Steam Whistle or, or – sorry, not Steam Whistle. That's the – like Stella or whatever the fuck. So, like – there's a whole bunch of those too. So who does that leave to fight the good fight? Yeah, because that's what it just feels like. Like you know who's, who's, who's doing the the, well, the conversion work? Is, but like the, the know, conversion a, work. You yeah, need the conversion someone who's like really converting. Are. Yeah, like you guys are doing a great. I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, Sean. Too. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's a discovery because like, again, we're like just we're, absorbing information and trying to piece it together because it's a different perspective, which I think is really interesting. We've actually never come to this conclusion before, so this is yeah. why I know you haven't said a word in a second. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, we're just talking. This is all we're like, understanding it all. We're digesting all of it because I think it's fascinating. Because on one hand, there is this this side where you don't need to, uh, you know, whatever. We buy Yeezys, for example, or something. There's not a lot of them. People are not going to want to spend $300 for sneakers. Some For some people, that's stupid. And arguably, yeah, it's just Connie's name on it. And it's probably not it's the same material as any other Adidas shoe. But we're doing it, for example. Mm. I do think that's the hype. So there's that hype side. That's, that's a, a small set, you know. That would be a big problem. But that's if, a minority of the sneaker And that's market. a minority. So it's the same thing with beer. And then, but is there, are there a ton of other breweries who are doing really 
really well, even at the approachable level? It sounds like there isn't. And that's why craft beer isn't progressing because why, why isn't it progressing then? Why hasn't it got further? I mean, it could be marketing. It could be, it's probably marketing. Like Sean, even if thoughts? you think, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think. Cause <laughs> like, why isn't of, it? Cause again, if like it's only Great 15%. Lakes type of breweries, OGs yeah. who've been around forever, they've got their fans, but are they really like, how do they, are they continuing to convert new people? I don't want to put Great Lakes on the spot, but breweries like that who have been around forever, Nickelbrook, things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's well known. Well, They're a bit well, on the larger side. Maybe that's, that's pretty bigger than midsize, I guess. But ones, you know, have a lot of capacity, have a million LCBO SKUs, been around 20 odd years for Nickelbrook and 30 odd years for Great Lakes, for example. I'm sure there's like a handful of other ones, but, but a handful like that. There's not like 50 like that. Mm-hmm. that are doing it. I don't know if they're like, they got their loyal drinkers that were converted 25 years ago. Maybe they are still converting people now, but I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Do they have that one fucking beer, like Revival, that was everywhere? Like, you know what I mean? Like that it's, that's taken over Scarborough and, and all that shit. So like, yeah. I don't know if you want to comment when we're just rambling. The- but like, yeah, <laughs> what if you do just want you to give your think? thoughts. What's the missing piece? Because now I even feel like you've proven to me, okay, cool. Price your beer at what you want. You might neglect a certain audience, but if you don't care, good. That's great, and that's awesome to me. I felt like everyone should raise their prices, but maybe it doesn't make sense from a competitive perspective. Mm. But so, but what do you think then is preventing craft beer from expanding? So forget why some are closing because there's like operational considerations. There's so many things there. But what do you think is actually preventing taking a bigger chunk from big beer? Like what's the blocker there? Yeah, I I definitely think that the market, the market system in Ontario has benefited big beer with the beer store and everything that's kind of gone. I mean, it's, it's too long a discussion kind of more broadly, but I'd say that certainly I think the market forces within like in the market structure, I should say, has benefited big beer. I think LCBO has benefited craft producers, but the rest of the market has benefited big producers for a long, long period of time. Mm. It allowed big brewers in Ontario to have a massive head start, right? Whereas um, I think in other markets, it's it's been a little bit different. Um, that, you know, that being said, I think price is, it's not just price. I think you're right. What, like I had mentioned this before, I, I certainly think that awareness is, is something that is overlooked because the easy, the easy thing to talk to the government about is taxes, which again, would love lower taxes. But, you know, I think that things like investing in brewery tourism, like mm. having the government fund give, you know, I don't know, like, you know, have, have the government promote, you're a tourist, come to Toronto and here's a brewery tour that we, you know, like there's, there's definitely like things that I think that the government can do to promote awareness Mm. that benefits breweries. Um, There are things that, you know, the, the government could do, for example, like, and again, these are private, I think these are kind of private organizations. And I know in the past, so the Junos, for example, I, I've seen Steam Whistle as being like a beer sponsor. Well, is that really like a government run organization? How, how, like, what are the details of that? Maybe there's good exposure to that. Okay, well, why don't we then give craft breweries in, in the markets that that um, that do those events, those big events that are kind of somewhat Canadian slash government related or Ontario related or provincially related. Why don't we give them opportunities to promote their products at those events? Mm -hmm. You know, government funds all of the, like 
Jazz Fest, any of those big festivals that you see, Carabana, all of that stuff is 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 our taxpayer dollar, mm. right? That's going to those. So I don't think it's unreasonable to ask to say, okay, well, you're going to get government money. Well, you can't go to some big multi- multinational for a check. You have mm. to use these craft producers um, in, 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 you know, for, to promote these events. Like there, uh, what I'm saying is that, I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, these, these are like off the top of the head type, type points, but great I'm saying points, they're both really great, yeah, I'm great like, ideas. Fucking perfect. And I remember we used to work with tourism boards. The States puts a lot of money into that. Like we work, Colorado brought yeah, us, never paid us to go do. Yeah. But they did, they cover everything. Basically, they're smart. And the Colorado tours, oh, because COVID happened after and they were going to give us a second. But anyways, so Colorado, for example, Virginia, same thing. Vermont, they brought us out there and they were like, these are a trail of breweries. Like, promote these things. We've created a passport. It's like an app that you're going in. Like, they put a lot of work into driving people to go there and tour the states or at least certain cities and go around and have all the beer. And I don't know if Ontario tours, I'd say wine is much better at that. Wine is actually pretty good at that. Um, When we think about even like the Niagara Wine Tourism Board, like they're very, or the Niagara Wine Board, they're very good at like, uh, they hold these things where it's like, you need to go to 12 things on this path. And then you go and you do the sip and sizzles. Remember, and every winery participates in the food and a drink thing. Like they they do all these discovery tours. And that's like, I'm assuming our money, or I don't know if it's like, the money that they're paying to their own board. Like, for example, if OCB created an app or partnered with the Ontario Tourism Board and forced that or kind of like pushed to that. So maybe they have to lobby. I wonder if OCB needs to do that. Maybe that's like something that's in their wheelhouse to do. Like you use a portion of the money to support marketing in those spaces. Because what you're talking about is just marketing in the end. Again, discovery, education, that, that, that's what's happening there. And wisely using the dollars. If craft beer is spending so much in taxes, like a portion of it would be fair to either go there based on the government side and then also probably maybe on like the OCB side or something like mm. that or wherever you all pay money to outside of that. So that's interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I would say like as a reasonable, like for example, because we've dealt with a lot of these events where we're bidding on sponsorships and stuff like that. I personally think, and this is just as a taxpayer, even if I wasn't in the the industry, like if you're taking government money for festivals and events like this, you should, I I don't think it's an unreasonable ask at all to to say like, fine, maybe you don't have to be exclusively dedicated to Ontario producers, but you should have some. Mm -hmm. That's not an unreasonable position to take, right? Um, So, you know, that's kind of, at the end of the day, to your point, I think awareness is like, awareness is, a big thing and then aware but like at the end of the day you can build awareness but this is where i think that having a compelling value proposition like fresh beer local support the community but if the price is double like you're gonna have a pro even if it's even if you hit all those other things right the the, the that's gonna matter i mean at the end of the day like loggers are are generally speaking easy drinking beers it's hard to like what and that's true right now even for ipas right there's no ipa that's going to be the best selling beer in the world next year. You know, no. like that's not going to happen. No. Right. So, and I think the same thing is for lager. There's no lager that next year is going to be the best selling lager in the world. There's the, the level of difference between the lager is more brand. It's completely brand based. So, you know, at the, that's some kind of my point is we need to have, you know, a greater focus and greater awareness on promoting the industry at large that then will funnel 
volume, right? But then you have to make sure that the, the value proposition that we're driving is a fair and reasonable value proposition. That's all. And I think that, you know, that's where, you know, my headspace would be in terms of, I mean, the taxes are one thing, but then I think that there's a very equally important thing, which is we need to get more eyeballs and more butts and seats and more people at the bottle shop and more people at the tap room, you know, at, at breweries as well. Hmm. So it sounds like, these are really great points. It feels yeah. like a body like the OCB needs to lobby, and each of the provincial bodies, I guess, across the, the country mm-hmm. should lobby the government. I guess that's part of their job is to, to lobby, to to ask for things like that. Where that would move the needle. So the taxes are one thing, like you said, cool, and that would definitely help. And there's just other things that could be done that would that would actually really move the needle for people because if you said you got like um what was the example you gave like carabana and stuff like that like yeah particularly that comes into the diversity side because these are a bunch of people that are typically used to only a very few beers you know heineken guinness and a few other maybe you know carib and, and other local ones in the different caribbean countries like red stripe and such yeah they're not even exposed they don't know that revival goes well with jerk chicken or something you know they, they don't even understand that that's an option mm-hmm. and those communities will love the shit because it would be, and then it'll open up a whole bunch of flavor world. They're only used to like two flavors. Like there's like Guinness, like, you know, stout, light stouts or export stouts. And then, you know, some sort of like lager or Pilsner, like that's it. But there's so much else in beer that could, that could go beautifully with so many different cuisines that, that would be very helpful actually across the board and have little booths along the way and, you know, have the government actually pay the festival for that sponsorship in on behalf of the brewery so you want lost craft the high park everywhere yeah well you know maybe it's 10 grand to do it then cool the government covers your fee so that the festival gets their money and then you got this local producer that's getting their products in the hands of 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 the real people of the city and 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 also tourists because that those things generate a lot of tourism uh opportunities and then they might go this oh i had this beer at carabana oh they got a tap room in the junction hell yeah let's go like mm-hmm. That is such a sick idea, man. That was one of the best ideas I've actually heard that's <laughs> practical and like could be done right now. And it's, I don't know who it'll take. Once again, it seems like it falls on the OCB. I don't want to put everything on them. They don't have to run the world or whatever, but like. Yeah, maybe, or maybe an organization like them comes around. Like it could be either an arm that they have or an organization. And that's why I want to talk to somebody from those of you, because I'm actually just curious of more about that. Yeah, I'm more and more curious about the business of beer a bit really more. I'm interested in sitting with them. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I looked actually and Guinness was the the, the beer. The beer of uh I look, I'm least mad at Guinness, to be honest. Yeah, the but it's like you should you mad. should But you should be having the local stuff and yeah, like you said, even it could if it's have been Guinness and someone else. For yeah, example. like equal yeah. billing or whatever. The you know, you, you like you're right. If you're getting government subsidies, you can't just be going bringing in like a Brazilian multinational like AB or something. It's just it's mm-hmm. not fair. It doesn't help the local economy, and it's just money that's leaving Canada. And you keep fucking sending money out of here. Like you know, <laughs> keep some in the country, guys. Please, oh, we love doing that. But yeah, um, yeah. This is this is fascinating. I just want to really. I feel like we didn't really acknowledge the peach uh, gin fizz, dude. This was oh. fan. I just crushed that shit. That was beautiful. Um, fantastic very different to the to the pink and it's it's super like once again um light and refreshing yet still packed with flavor not too sweet as well just like the other one um money these are so good gingery gingery yeah yeah, exactly oh it's peach and ginger okay okay Okay, nice Um, yeah it's awesome 
should I, I – I know we're trying to sort of think every half an hour for a drink. I know we've been like talking. I haven't done it yeah. as strict. You gave a very interesting perspective, and I want this to be – I'm not always on the pods, but I'd yeah. be curious to hear breweries speak more on this. Yeah. But it definitely feels like an awareness gap. The awareness gap is massive. I think we kind of knew that already, but it feels even just more um, – evident in this conversation here this has been that revel- because there are different models maybe you can't it's like yeah there you we have to have something or someone somebody who's really dedicated to this either educational arm or just placement arm just making sure that the beers are placed more strategically than they are because it started now hearing you it really feels like it is just on the brewer and the brewery and that's it and they so can it's build your ads, your marketing ads, the events that you decide to do, and that's just it. And you don't actually have the government or anybody kind of supporting those efforts. Is that right to say? Like, it's there's nothing there, which we do see in like a Colorado where it's very, very big. And like that you could see there's a real push for it. Or just even in the wine and even in the wine, Niagara wine industry, for example, there's a larger push for it. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think like, exactly. Like, I think that we're just behind where Niagara is in terms of like, like VQA and like all that support, right? At the LC, I mean, the LCB, when I say it's not, it's not VQA, at the LCBO, it's great. And LCBO is, it's, yeah, they do great there. Yeah. That, that part is fine. It's more that you're right. Like the government promotion of it, like mm-hmm. it did incremental promotion of tourism and stuff like that is not, I, I, you know, I'm generally speaking as far as I can tell, it's just not at the same level. Um, but, but I mean, I think that, again, I say this at, at a grassroots level, I think that MP, like I've spoken to our, like, I guess even the council where I live, which is not where the brewery is like Brad Bradford, like he's great. He always promotes like the local businesses will always like put shout it on our Instagram, go support. Like he's, he's pretty active. Um, I think that certain, um, I think that politicians definitely do like at a local level support, but I think the question is more about, at a government level, mm. right? That's the, that's probably, you know, a more broad point because I guess, you know, to your point about, I guess, again, I, I, my lens is always like work with what we're given. We are given high taxes in Ontario. We know we have that. So, so there's, we're going to ask the, in any scenario, you're asking the government for money, right? So you're either going to say, Hey, tax me less. And you got to explain that argument more generally. For me, it's an easier argument to say, hey, spend that money and promote coming to all these breweries. And and that way, it's for me, it's more, first of all, tourism dollars are the dollars that everyone wants, right? It's the dollars from the economy. So at at the end of the day, to me, that's like an easier, it's an easier sell. I'm not saying it's the only sell, but I'm saying that it, I, I, you know, my opinion is like it's a little bit of an easier sell to do. And I do think that, I mean, the tourism will, won't necessarily solve the problem because tourism, people come in and out, right? They're not consistently buying. But I'm using tourism as an example of that's like, you know, creating brewery tours that are kind of more established and well run. But it, to your point, it could also be like at festivals and events that are government sponsored or supported. Or there's a whole, this, you can roll down the list of things where we can start integrating more kind of craft breweries or, or kind of local companies, you know, Mm. into those, um, into those activities, essentially. 
Mm. Mm-hmm. Like these are legit solutions, though. Like I feel like this is which is what we're trying to pull always. Yeah, from here. So that's like I think this is fantastic. I really hope that people, somebody who's in, you know, in there, <laughs> close, you know, in the OCB or close to it, who can influence that, bring some of these ideas because like this isn't selfish for you from Lost Craft High Park perspective or any of your other businesses. Like this is like dead ass. This is industry. <laughs> Uh, across the province and, and essentially across the country and beyond. If you're in the States listening or watching, like you could do the same shit there. It's the same concepts. It's like, they just have to understand. It's like, I, I really feel like they're like, they, I always joke. I'm like, if you're going to try and, you know, if you were trying to ruin, you know, the country, what would you do different? And it really feels, sometimes it feels like they're doing everything to fuck it up, sending all the money overseas and not really reinvesting in the communities. We lost so many businesses during COVID, you know, and in like, even if the tax stuff, you know, if you just look at the, just the disparity between say Alberta and, and um, Ontario is just like that lack of uh, fairness makes it so much harder and it just shouldn't be. But at the very same time, you're right. Like if they're not going to cut it down and make it sort of somewhat equal across the country, then spend that. You're going to take all my money, then spend it on helping us. But I don't know. I don't know where it goes to Ukraine or something right now. Like it's just not sticking around here. So I don't, I don't know what they're doing with all of this stuff. It's uh, I don't have as much of a grasp on it. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, I feel like these but are I- just like real things that people can take and do. Mm-hmm. I would also say like in fairness to the government, which is what people aren't really talking about, like beer taxes had gone up consistently for a very, very long time. Like I forget, I think I pulled it up even, let me just tell you the beer tax. Yeah. Oh, which would be the next one, Sean, by the way, Tiff's going to go. Should be the coastal wave or the. Finish off with the beer. So maybe it's the spicy. Yeah. The spicy margarita. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, I thought you were getting. It. Oh, okay, okay, good. Sorry, I thought you were saying it. Why are you finding that? Keep like, going. Go get this. So you're like, off you go. <laughs> Washington pulls up the um, yeah. those numbers for us. And sorry, what's the, what are you looking up? Sorry, I was just looking looking up the the like escalation rates. Okay. <clears throat> so you know, like in. Is this the excise tax or is this something else? This is the Ontario. This is like what the, like the excise is kind of somewhat separate, but it's lower. Like the bigger tax is like the Ontario tax. Okay. And uh, yeah, like, you know, from 2010, you were running that number of like 39, you know, whatever, 39 cents, right? Mm-hmm. So in, so in 2010, in 2010, that rate was, was 90, like, so call it like 20 cents. So okay. let's call it from 2010 to now, that rate has doubled, right? Yeah. But, but in fairness to the government, you know, I guess into the existing government, like that rate has barely changed since 2017. Okay. Okay. So the escalation actually stopped, you know, more recently. So we're talking about lowering the tax, but at least the tax hasn't been going up like it had been for a long time. Yeah, so they actually stopped that at some point mm-hmm. to alleviate, I guess, to alleviate the burden a little bit. Exactly. I'm just changing. It's brought back on. I see. Oh, I went to us. Hang on. And then let me bring Shahan back in. There we go. That's no other way. There we go. What tap my fierce? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Keep going. Um, we're just talking about. Sorry, do you just want to repeat that to Craig? Fuck, so many cables. <laughs> um, 
Because sorry, no, just, no, no. All I said was that the um, no, like since I think it was like 2010, that tax rate, like the like that basic tax rate, you know, you reference like 39 cents. It's basically doubled, right? But but over the last like five years, give or take, or, or a little bit longer, that that rate has barely gone up. So they've okay. kind of flatlined it. Is I guess my point. Is that I mean, enough though? Well, I mean, it's better than it in continuing to, in, you know, it that's true. Period. I don't know. I'm just maybe let, not as optimistic. I about think the government, government has to do a lot more. So I'm always going to be on their ass about it. Yeah, I'm definitely it. on their ass about it. I'm not um, fucking with the But government now I actually, now you've just made me feel like they even need to do more on the marketing front and support front because you should put more money into something that one contributes to your GDP significantly. So if something is actually benefiting you to an extent, like having small businesses in general are always good for the economy. That's like a not, a not an arguable statement. Mm -hmm. So I do think one, lowering the tax is one thing, but I do feel like the points that you made in terms of, okay, how do we support this industry because we can see the potential in it is a huge factor. Yeah. So I do still overall feel that the government is failing craft breweries yeah. in general and not helping when it comes to making sure that they can survive and thrive, really. Yeah. And I would like to get to a point where if you do want this, you should be able to thrive. And it shouldn't be such like a massive undertaking to get to a steam whistle. You know, like I know there is a massive capital that is involved here, but I do think it seems like it's hard, way harder than it should be. Um, yeah, it's a good way to look at it. That's, it just harder feels way harder be. than it should be, and that's why a lot of people are closing, like, because it seems like a lot, it's still against you. It's just like unfairly taxed compared to other products, and I understand there's a sin tax, and I'm not like against that. It's just that if Alberta can manage it, or be all these other different places, like why can't Ontario do it as well? It doesn't make any sense. And on top of that, I saw stats. I tried to find it the other day, and I, I couldn't. Maybe we did during the other pod, but it was like uh, craft beer... Um, is uh, re responsible for like 600 and something million of annual um, oh, I'll tell you. revenue, whatever it is. And then um, it employs this many people from this many households, like the actual impact of craft beer. And then not even to, to I think that even also took into account the adjacent industry, such as like yeast, can, labeling, uh, distribution, like all of those other industries surrounding it bring in so much money that like, it's not something that like, and if the government is just going to let the industry fail by overtaxing and by not supporting, like what you said, Shahan, about like taking that tax money and investing that back into helping. And this is not just about beer. I, I, I put the all, you know, like whatever spirits, cider, um, you know, wine, all of that stuff. I, oh, sorry. Yeah. In the same like bucket, like it just doesn't make any sense. Like mm. there's no, assistance in that way it's actually the opposite of assistance like they're making it harder and harder and harder for people to get by they've never you know what I'm, that's just the industry not to mention the actual people with tents and fucking food being expensive and gas and blah 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 like it's all fake everything we're doing this is fake we made this shit <laughs> made it. nothing's real nothing is real we can change like, throw the money everything. at it you throw money at everything just throw money's money not at it. real money <laughs> is energy and it's numbers on a screen it's not real it's not even gold backed it's nothing it's meaningless it has meaning because we give it to it so fucking more of an make it work i know yeah. sorry i get <laughs> i'm not even lit because i've been having tiny little bits so i'm just i'm just super passionate about it because i don't like anything that's illogical and to me all of this shit is illogical as fuck and 
There's real people being really affected by this, and it could really help a lot of people. And once again, I understand it's the sin thing, which is cool. Cannabis gets more. Cannabis isn't taxed like this. This shit's been around for like five years. Like I fucks with it heavy, but like <laughs> you know, you're basing the. You could maybe I'm wrong here, but I know a lot of the laws. I'm pretty sure a lot of the laws. I don't know about taxes, but a lot of the laws are based on um, uh, completely archaic um, acts written in the 1920s, like. Yeah. It's 2024, fam. Like, come yeah. on. This is absurd. Abs- and once again, this is not even a dig at Ontario at that OCB point. Did well with Australia's the fucked. America's like fucked. Europe's yeah. fucked. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, OCB are definitely, and they're all working hard. But I'm just like, is it really? It's like, it's like turning the Titanic around. Like, why is it taking so long? I understand it's bureaucracy and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'll shut up because I'm, I could go on forever. But it's just, it's just really annoying. I just like, just fix it. Do you know what's going to fix it? A spicy margarita from the heart of <laughs> Yeah, hire me for marketing, bro. Oh, there it is. There we go. There we go. There we go. Look at that. Okay. And this one rocks. um, So (laughs) the lime tequila, agave syrup, and Thai chili. Now, how would you describe this? Is this a, is like this an end of the night party spice, or is this a wake up in the morning? Um, <laughs> oh, like the what's it called? You, a you know, like people get the Caesars. What's the vibe for this? What's the? Oh, okay. It doesn't oh. smell spicy. I'd say it's a bit. It's it, it's it's for everything. It's as as <laughs> for our beers for everyone. And how spicy is spicy? Oh, there you, you, you go. Smell it, yeah. If you smell Cheers. it, like the, I inhaled way too much. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna make you cough if you do that. I'll tell you that for sure. But it's not that spicy. You'll no, not at all. That's I didn't even. I, if you didn't tell me it was spicy, I would oh, okay, spicy. yeah. I was picturing like way more, like really intense. So is it one of those? So this like, is fine. This is like a. You taste a little bit. There's a pepper edge there. It's almost like you taste more of the chili than like a spice. It's yeah, less heat like the and more flavor. What, yeah. what is that? Like an earthy type. Yeah, of we shit. had a, our first batch of this was like extreme. Like I'm talking, like everyone that like tried it would like out of the can. You'd crack it and cough. Like you just break oh, it. My buddy, my buddy Tommy, like, and he's a big guy. Like he owns a gym. Like, like MMA. Like big, big dude. And he was he even him was like, I can't, I can't handle this. I'm like, oh, this is too much. Dial like, that back. Gonna dial it back. So we've. Been a bit of a trial and error period, but uh, but yeah, we have now back to a more like generally palatable thing. Yeah, I mean, it's and intention to be like a kick, you know, a a hint of heat, but but nothing crazy. Yeah. After the second sip, I'm. It's like really subtle. Like you feel a little. Not even up here, like in the down further in the esophagus. It's here for me. Oh, it's yeah. oh you've had it. Yeah, yeah. Is it fuck with because Tiff is no, a little no, more light. um it's not fine. not yeah. not as used no, no, no. no, good. Yeah. yeah, this is this is nice. And it's very um because it's essentially very similar ingredients to the regular lime um tequila soda, this is like uh it's it's quite different. It's a little bit of fun. No, this well, the biggest biggest difference is like the spicy margarita is actually real lime. So like tequila is like just tequila sort of flavor, no sugar. This is a true margarita with with like our own like fla- like our own um, kind of chili enhancers and stuff like that. Chili oh yeah, that's, that's awesome, cool. dude. But, and when did this one drop? Because this is I don't think I've seen this. First version, first short lived version was like I think two years ago, and then this version we kind of have dialed it in like uh, last year. Gotcha. Nice. You're like pushing these products out. It's great. Yeah, it's There's awesome. So many. This is like it's actually I had no idea that there was this many. Um, and I bet there's probably even more, I imagine, than just these five, right? Yeah, there was the vodka one you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have more too. I, I think that we, you know, we'll have 
maybe like a good 10 RTDs in the summer. Um, will be like pretty, pretty good. But again, we're, we're not, you know, we're trying to be measured because again, brand proliferation is, is a problem in a lot of the time. So we're trying to like make sure that every product that we put out is good. Like we don't want to put out something that's like kind of subpart. It's a bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like, again, with everything that's happening with the whole changes to the MFA and uh, RTDs going to grocery and convenience, we want to build like a really awesome, you know, RTD portfolio that's a little bit more unique. That's not homogenized, big brand um, available, you know, currently. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think that that's kind of where we're positioned, you know, where we're positioning kind of moving forward. Yeah. You, that was the perfect segue because I was about to ask about the MFA and what you thought about it. So for people who don't know, the uh, master framework agreement that uh, with the beer store has with Ontario is coming to an end on December 31st, 2025, which means that uh, instead of the monopoly that the beer store currently has on 12 packs, 24 packs and things like that, um, convenience stores now can can stock that grocery can. And instead of being restricted to 450 grocery stores, it can now open up to, I guess, anybody who wants it and apply for the license. Um, love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you know, uh, Quebec's had the convenience thing and gas stations for forever, um, but it's not craft. It's all, the gas stations are all macro. That I noticed. You remember the one across the street from us that was all like. What about the Depeter Old Building? Didn't they have a craft in there? Yeah, but that's not a gas station. So oh, it's so like it's gas only station. the gas station. Okay. I like that. And mm. then the other ones, um, that one had a little bit of craft, you're right. Mm-hmm. And then other ones are, um, uh, can choose, they can just order what they want. So, you know, what does it look like? Are you excited about it? Is it a big deal? Is it. Is it going to be a large impact? Drive awareness. Yeah. Like what, what, what are your thoughts on it as actual producer? I think that we don't know enough. I don't think we have enough information to make a really qualified observation because I think the details on what convenience is, is, is very vague. Um, and uh, so for example, if, because I think I think if I recall, they also mentioned big box, right? They called it. I don't know what that Correct. means. Correct, Costco. I think it means Costco. Shit like that. Yeah, but Costco's like a grocery store. Like, does that mean like Hudson's? Like, is it the Bay? Can the Bay now sell have like a liquor store, right? Like, I mean, this oh, is what I mean. The Bay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's just vague. You don't really know. Yeah, I, I don't. Know, I don't know what that means. But you know, I think that the. Uh, I would say this. I think. For for the average convenience store, I don't see that as being a great mover for craft products, right? Like the average convenience store is going to want the most recognizable brands that they can quickly rip off. Also convenience stores don't have a ton of shelf space, right? They, they don't, they can't like restock product like constantly. Mm. You would have to resize convenience stores to really have like, I don't, you know, you, you guys know, like when you go to the U S and convenience stores with liquor, they have like fridges, right? Massive. These yeah. Fridges. So it, like you almost double your, your, your shelf space. So your, your real estate uh, to add like liquor and stuff or beer or whatever it is. But then you got to think in retail, your, your margins are like, you're looking at a per square foot. So if I'm going to double my real estate, pay double the rent, am I making enough to cover that, you know, that cost? And if maybe you can. Yeah. Right. So there's, it's, it's kind of complicated, but I think that probably for the average convenience store, they're going to be leaning more towards big brand. Although I guess the government's saying that they're going to mandate some craft, but again, really? you, you know what I think they're kind of, what I heard is that they're, what I read anyway, was that they're 
it's kind of designed like the groceries, which is like they, they have to carry some craft products. Huh. Um, but again, it goes back to like the efficiency of doing that. So our craft brewery is going to want to drive, you know, deliver one case to 600 convenience stores across Ontario. That's you know, I mean? like, you know, it's like, it becomes complicated mm-hmm. in that it's it like to actually get the product there is going to be kind of complicated. And maybe who knows, maybe like Coca-Cola starts delivering beer. There's, there might be some like workaround to this. But, yeah. yeah. But it's going to be a little bit complicated. I mean, I think that also then the next question is like, can breweries own licenses to sell product? Meaning can we start, can we be a convenience outlet? Right. And own our own stores. Um, that would be like a different, you know, model as well. Interesting. That's a good, did we not, I feel like we talked about this. At some I felt point. like did le, not left field or something. I don't know why this sounds familiar to me. Uh, I feel like we've had this conversation. I think maybe you and I had it when we had a phone call like a month or so ago. And then, some maybe tell me if this was you who said this to me, but someone was like, "Oh, why can't say Lost Craft open up a storefront on Gerard, and it's you just a small me, little you store?" You said this to me, Did, so you talked to so someone. To, I didn't come up with this. Was that you? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, like, why can't there be a Lost Craft store that sells just Lost Craft and um and the RTDs and the High Park products in a small little space as big as this little room here? Yeah. And just have the chips that you have to fucking sell with it. Hopefully, they they dig that off because that's obscene. Um, but just you know, why can't why can't that be a thing? Because that doesn't make any sense. Why not? Because if they're giving that license, then mm-hmm. why can't well, they do that? Well, that can be a thing now. Technically, I mean, again, the devil's in the details, but technically, that could be a thing today. I uh, guess if you're cheeky about it and you like, you could have a separate corporation to apply for the license, get a storefront, and then only buy your own products from yourself from a company owned by you type of shit. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you I, mean, well, the, I mean, the I, the joke is, I mean, the what it is is Craig starts a brewery and then Tiff owns a convenience store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that's go. that's how it works. Yeah. yeah Very, Buy from the dumb, different. I mean, it's a very, it's a very transparent way to get around the the rule. <laughs> yeah. Um. But, but yeah. I mean, again, like, these are all idea. the. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a good idea. Like, <laughs> I was should, thinking about like fuck with that. We could do that anyway. Sorry, keep going. Uh. Yeah. Like no. I mean, I think, and, and this is what I mean. I think that just on the face of it, I do think that I one thing that I for sure think is eliminating the beer store having a monopoly on selling two fours is certainly a thing. Like that's, that's, that's not, great, like right? that made no yeah. sense when they, it was agreed to. I don't know why it was ever agreed to, but um, yeah. Right. So like, I mean, I think getting rid of that is, is important. And then the, the and then how it, tr- how the, how the market transition is kind of like more of the next like wave. And gotcha. I, I mean, I just don't think there's enough information to kind of come at it at a very, like with, with a lot of, yeah, with, with, with you know, to give you an educated opinion. But I think in general, I think bring up, the market is good. I think that um, adding more grocery, I think that the government has to make sure that grocery grocery stores make money selling beer because that's been the biggest thing. Like the way that the structure worked when they launched it is they kind of, it was like a lost leader essentially. Like, oh, we're going to get all this traffic for people coming to beer. But I don't think that's really how it worked. I think people come there for food and maybe they're going to come and grab a beer. Mm. I think if you want alcohol, you're not going to, you're not leaning towards grocery. You want beer store well probably more lcbo than beer store even but um yeah it's true but i think yeah. that that's kind of the where i see 
that. So we'll see. But I mean, my big, I mean, I think the craft breweries have always said we want more retail stores. We don't want to have to build a brewery to be able to sell retail. Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. kind of the, the big thing. Right. But I mean, I, I think in fairness, like if you talk about BC, BC has private liquor stores as well. Right. So if you look at that market and say, okay, well, they've had private liquor stores and government liquor stores for a while. And that's given to some extent, I guess, better access. I mean, if you have private liquor stores, you're going to have, certainly there's going to be entrepreneurs, maybe it'd be you guys that say, Hey, I want to open up a storefront and sell craft beer. I don't want to sell macro beer. Right. Mm. You're going to curate that lineup to fit in that that'll benefit producers like us. Right. Or other craft breweries as well. Mm. So I think that there is there with this system, it could benefit, um, you know, craft breweries, but I think it's going to, it's going to be a function of how it, you know, how everything kind of evolves. That's all. Mm. Mm -hmm. You made a point that actually I didn't think about. So one of the biggest challenges I've really, one of the coolest things that happened was the law changing that like cafes, restaurants, bars, and independent people could just start a store and sell packaged uh, beer um, products and and wine and uh, TDs. Sick. It was so cool. When we were living in Quebec, I was fucking amped. I just love it. I think it was like, you know, one of the biggest uh, improvements here in Ontario. Then after living here now for like a year and a half, I'm like, oh, uh, you know, a lot. I talk to a lot of breweries. I always mention it like excitably. And a lot of them are like, ah, oh, it's, it's too hard because you've got to like go and got to call them. You know, if you're out in Kingston, you're trying to get, yeah, you know, say so you're trying to get yeah. into Durand here in Hamilton. If you're out in Kingston or something, you're like, what, you got to send for one store or the couple of stores, you got to send a person in a van to go and do a tasting. And like, Didn't some people say that even times they want to buy like half a case or something, you're like, I'm going to do this for, for half, a case, get right? half a case of beer. So like, that's why they don't do it. Cause they're like, how am I going to get it there? So I know there's certain breweries that my local store physically goes there every week because he's passionate. So he's curious curated a fire fridge he goes to a certain few breweries personally every week other breweries will ship them out to them but they're always delayed so he has a, a few breweries who have all their new shit like day of other breweries that'll just like oh i'll be like it dropped oh you don't have it yet because they haven't sent it out but in quebec what i think now because you mentioned what's going to happen how's it going to people aren't going to drive all that way for one case because they're not currently driving all that way for one case um, in Quebec, they have distribution companies. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's somewhat like the state. So like, you know, there's a whole bunch, you know, there was Transbrew that had all that drama. There's like another Buc- business. A. Exactly. Another <laughs> one. So basically it'd be people that would have a distribution company that would physically drive it around. And often they uh, would pair that with sales reps. So they would offer a sales and distribution uh, solution to breweries where they'd be like, look, I've got my team of, of sales folks that, have relationships now with all of the different convenience stores and because that changes the game if you've got convenience stores i mean how many are in toronto hamilton barry kitchener cambridge guelph like tons and tons like hundreds in each place so then each therefore it's worth it you could have multiple sales reps if you're a distro company in each based in each city and you would have a bunch a warehouse central warehouse where the breweries would ship their product to and then they go and cool and they just fulfill the order so as long as the product is handled properly by the distributor Mm -hmm. and then all the invoices are kind of like quickly because maybe i don't know whether how the money goes i forget how that works if it i think it goes through the distributor like the distributor sells it to them they go they get their cut for selling it and then you know, and then pay out the um, the brewery afterwards. So, I would say that's probably the most likely thing because it happened in Quebec. 
Mm-hmm. So it's probably what's going to happen here. But I always know everyone's always having problems. That's what I was thinking. There's always issues. There's always drama. So I was like, ooh, great business. And I was like, actually, that's not, it was so annoying over there. It just it, always seemed like were, something was happening. It's always something. All yeah. our brewery friends were always changing distributors because they were always doing something shady or not paying or not. Because you think about it, right? If you've got one distributor and I'm the sales rep for Hamilton and I work for the distributor and the distributor manages 50 brands. What the fuck? I'm going to go into the store and be like, here's my sales sheet. What do you want? And they're like, I don't know any of these. I own a convenience yeah. store. They just changed and the laws. And then there became a time know. where the, the, some of the people who are distributing the beer started their own beer. So then it's like, so okay, you're, you're going to be selling first. 49 other beers and your beer's on the list. You're going to be like, no, I'm selling At every my, store. I'm and they're beer. the ones yeah. who got in legal trouble recently. Yeah. So like- it's yeah, interesting. Circle, it's like Circle K Lager. That's like the newest. <laughs> <laughs> is that the name of the episode? Honestly, <laughs> that could happen. That actually happens. Wait, yeah. if you think about it, it wasn't there a PC Lager? There is. That's literally the same thing. That's what happened. They're like, oh, cool. Beer is available now. Welcome. Introducing President's Choice too. Lager. And, and they, they make, do non-alcoholic. But they make like a blonde and amber. Yeah. Oh, they do all different stuff. Yeah, I've never tried go. it, but I heard people be, were. Circle K, triple IPA. Like, you imagine no Circle K, milkshake. Milkshake. Who knows? Do you remember when No Name dropped their shit? I think it was during the yeah. pandemic and there were people online I saw bragging that they got them. People were going in like Treehouse with a dolly and buying like cases and cases of it because it was essentially bucket beer. And they were like losing their shit to go and get this stuff. That's so terrifying and I think it'll happen. It's a different, con- it's, it's the complete opposite consumer essentially of what we're talking about. The only price conscious. They don't care about anything but price. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I never thought about all that. Wow, that's actually super interesting, the landscape coming up there, eh? Like the way it can move and all depending yeah. on how they structure the laws and like the rules, I guess, essentially around it. Speaking of beer. Oh, you know, I'll grab it. it. Yeah. Beer time. Look at that. Five drinks in, haven't had a single beer. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, yeah, interesting. Are you optimistic about the whole changes or is it kind of just like sure bro whatever i'm just worried about what's happening now because it's still essentially two years away thank you i mean yeah i mean i think that i would say that i'm i'm cautiously optimistic i think i think i think change is necessary and i think either way like i think that the mfa made no sense from inset like i i i think that that was a bad deal for the government and the bad deal for Ontario period. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think getting rid of that is good. And then I think it's baby steps, right? Like, let's see how this rolls out. I know a lot of people personally that are concerned about beer and grocery, right? Sorry, Mm -hmm. not not grocery, beer and convenience stores. How so? Just, you know, access to minors and, you know, whatnot. So relax. Fuck no. off. Bro, we lived in Quebec for 10 years. I didn't see one minor drinking beer. Relax. We've been to fucking Savannah, Georgia. They drink beer in the street. Key West, Las Vegas. They just drink. It's fine. All that shit is fear-mongering nonsense. They sell weed gummies here. They don't sell weed gummies in Quebec because they're paranoid about kids. Relax. Sorry. I, I, that, that's, I think that's such a fucking nonsense argument. Like all the, all the stores are got to do is, is adhere to the laws and ID people if they look under 25, just like they do at, or 31 or whatever it is, just like they do at LCBO and beer store. Like, I feel like that's like, I don't know. I feel like that's nonsense. Sorry, keep going. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, who, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just saying that I think that there is. People I'm just saying there, there's definitely people like that are concerned about it. I agree. I, I'm a little bit more libertarian, so I think that I agree with you that I think that like chill, that people are irresponsible, and yeah, uh, it is what it is. But you know, we'll see. But but again, I think that on the face of it, again, without those details, like if you just told me, hey, convenience stores can sell beer. That's not that's not that great for craft like craft breweries, <laughs> especially great in the context of, we're talking about like pricing. Like again, you're gonna go try to sell, a, you know, a, a, like a four dollar can of lager and and price compete with a three dollars thirty five. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Like it's not their same customer. You know what I mean? But again, yeah. if you have craft, if you have essentially like a group of craft, you know, liquor stores, that's gonna change the game. So that's that's what different. I think it's going to be. I, I, that's what right. happened in Quebec. I don't know if you've, when the last time you were there, but like there'd be regular debonairs, uh, like that the would just stock macro. Like they literally just had Budweiser, PBR. Maybe they'd have Unibrew because it's Quebec and because they were bought out too. Um, and maybe they'd have St. Amboise or something like that. And then you'd have specialty beer stores where the owners curate uh, the, um, uh, the, the selection just like anything else just like the just like the coffee shops and and um and bars and stuff that they do it now that would be my guess how it goes so it would, it, the the average yes i didn't uh, i waited for you to take the photo oh you want me to take it yeah okay uh, oh you pour it oh nice just gonna pour the beer um while we're pause on that this getting to some beer there you go beautiful this is a uh, coastal wave lost craft in the fucking building hey shahan do you know the hops in this beer I do know the hops. <laughs> it's uh, tell me Amar about those hops. Amarillo and Simcoe. Very Amarillo true. and Simcoe. Uh, how do you feel about those hops? Hey, wait, wait, wait. Tell me about the beer itself while Tiff's pouring it here. So let me get get. Why is it? It's blown. Uh, it's I can't get it to to. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. Keep keep. Talk, tell me about the beer while I'm taking a photo. Oh yeah, no, it's a, it's our flagship IPA. It's a hybrid East Coast West Coast. It's a little bit hazy, uh, a little bit bitter. Uh, so yeah, like it's our, it's our kind of biggest, <clears throat> definitely like our number one, you know, IPA that we sell. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of meant to be a bit of a hybrid product, essentially a bit of both, Fuck a bit of that, haze, that fruit and a bit of that, uh, dankness on the best side. Look at that, mate. Oof, look at that head. That is gorgeous. Great portive. Definitely has. Now you mentioned Simca Amarillo, super dank, um, like tropical nose. Sorry, citrusy. Yeah, nice, beautiful, clean, like nice dryness in there. Um, definitely hybrid East meets West. So it's like, like it's still got those tropical notes, but Simca and Amarillo are often uh, found in Westies. So like, I like that. I like the East meets West. And this one, how long has this one been out? I think I had it with you in two years two years yeah two years yeah that feel, i feel like it was new when we came to see you that was probably 2022 i remember you're excited about this one and the high park one which was called remind me rings Dang. of satin yeah yeah um yeah man this is sick and this is lcbo right mm -hmm. love it um yeah man this is this is fire um what else do we want to touch on did we touch on everything I know we've been talking coming up on three hours, which is uh Oh shit, okay. No, I had one thing because you know I we're love no Sean's one of my favorite no marketers in the world. 
So, um, gang, gang. I would like to talk just a small little piece for marketing. No, I'm in no rush at all. I just wanted to make sure that we were capturing because I knew we had a lot of great stuff on yeah. the business tip we wanted to really touch on tonight. I think I know I like it there. Oh, it's he like he likes the beer beard. The beer. Beard is getting all juiced up right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Just juice, my guy. Um, <laughs> Covers up the grays. <laughs> Tips coffee. Just for fun, because you're great in marketing. We've been talking about awareness, for example, and how important it is. Um, I think looking from, I know we've worked together way, way, way back in the day. You've done so much, obviously, since then. Is there Are there certain like marketing tactics because again, we have a lot of industry people listening and we talk about the fact that beers, breweries, craft breweries need more uh, awareness. Are there marketing things that you, some knowledge you can bestow? Are there things that you did that hit? And are there things that you would say don't even waste your time with? That's I'd be very question. curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've moved to, a def- I mean, for us, I've moved, I've moved, I've always been to you, but I think. Sorry. Oh, you so have to repeat that because I hit unmute for a second. Okay. No worries. Okay. Uh, no, I uh, like more generally speaking. I think that uh, you know, more tra- with with beverage, especially with beverages and beverage alcohol. Like traditional marketing is liquid to lips. You need to get people to try the product. Right. So I think that you know, for sponsors with us, like we're very focused on trial and getting people holding the can, seeing the brand, and trying the products. Um, we've I definitely like shied away. Like we've never really done particular like print advertising billboards, like none of that. Uh, social media for sure. Uh, we've done in the past and we continue to do like a little bit of like with sponsored content. Um, you have to obviously just watch ROI right on social media. Cause you can spend a lot of money at it and not necessarily see, you know, that, but like, you don't necessarily see results. So that's kind of like where, like we said, is more traditional um, campaigns of like getting people trying the product or getting scenarios where, you know, our products are the ones that are featured. Um, and, and that's, I think that the days from, from what we see now in terms of like sponsorships and marketing, like the days of people cutting like massive checks aren't there anymore. Just there isn't the budget. It's, it's a harder economy. Um, so for the most part, we're really focused more on like product you know, product related opportunities. And does that involve, you mean when you say try the product, so you're actually like event, is that you're talking about in person, get the beer in their hand in person somewhere? Yeah, like festivals where like they need mm-hmm. a beer sponsor. So we'll, we'll like, we can, you know, be the the beer under like whatever terms. Like, so I, I just mean it's more product related. It's not like, hey, Lost Craft is going to be, have a billboard on, you know, front and done to us. Yeah. Or like, like which, which breweries did though. There were some that I was like, oh, you guys got money. Oh, maybe it was uh, Amsterdam it was only. That would make sense. Remember Lawson's Yeah, but in Ontario, someone was doing it. I think it was Amsterdam, maybe. I think I saw Sawdust might have. Wouldn't it be sick if you're driving down the garden and coming into the city and this big fuck-off Lost Craft billboard? Yeah, right you know before I mean? Drake's, like, random, yeah, always right? obscure billboards that he has. Like, or right uh, near the BMO Stadium, you just come past. And like, oh, it would shit, be pretty yeah, It would yeah. be pretty sweet. Uh, that's, like, so heavy impressions, traditional, and no way to determine well, how Well, with all of the traffic, not, people will be sitting staring they for are, a while. That's, uh, that is Fucking a fair point. Okay, so you're really focusing on in-person, direct to the right in front of the consumer. Yeah. And, and yeah, okay. I remember when you, um, I don't remember what year it was, but mem- uh, the, the rugby. Remember you had the... the I thought that the, was awesome. I think yeah, about that. You had um, the official beer of the rugby. What was it called again? 
The wolf pack. Wolf pack. Mm-hmm. And uh, had that, there was like a beer garden or whatever it was called on the side there behind the goals and stuff. That was sick. That was a, that was a vibe. That was when uh, my brother was there rocking out. That was just cool. Just seeing y'all like rock that out. People were just loving it. Um, would would you try to get like the uh, the beer into like the stadium? You know, like in the states, we're doing a lot more of the. You see a lot more craft in like larger venues, such as I guess here in Scotia, yeah. Rogers. Our all friends that type are of stuff. in the LA Stadium. What's uh, oh, Crowds and Hops is in SoFi. Yeah. Oh, they, oh, what's the? Hang on, it's not Rogers Center anymore. What's that called now? The Blue Jays Crypto, one? probably something. No, the Blue Jays. That's oh. Staples Center. What's the Blue Jays place called in downtown Toronto? <laughs> It's Rogers Center. Oh, it's still Rogers. Okay. Oh, Sky Dome. Mm-hmm. Now it's called Rogers. My bad. Um, the I remember we, when we went there, I saw other. There's like a craft beer lounge apparently on like the second, like the higher up floor and stuff. Like, could you get, or are you? Is that even interesting to get the beer in in places like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's great exposure, right? So yeah. we're hopefully next year, like next season, <clears throat> we can um, try to get in there. But yeah, like I, I mean, I think that again, like all of those. It's, it's over time, right? I think that, again, legacy, like all those deals are very expensive, right? Like the value to a Molson or a Labatt to having, you know, Canadian and Coors or Bud and Bud Light, whatever it is, you know, at those venues is is massive. Um, no brewery can write those checks. So right. it, is, it is, but I mean, having a bit of choice is, is great, right? So, I mean, slowly over time. Like the consumer ultimately dictates, right? If enough people are complaining, like, you know, there'll be change. So yeah. that's a shame because I don't think people complain. Like you go somewhere and you're just like, that's, this is whack. You're like, this selection is whack, but then you just don't drink or, or yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just do that and you move on. Yeah. So that's the only thing is like, it would be good. You should if, be complaining more. Yeah. But who do you complain to this 19 year old person letter. getting minimum wage <laughs> that email. doesn't give a fuck? Yeah. You're right. Sterling <laughs> worded letter. Yeah. <laughs> About the selection, yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's but interesting. I did hear, though, even at Rogers Center, they were charging like $17 for a craft beer, which I I heard after someone, I I was we went to the Beyonce show there, and I just got like a Mill Street or something, because I was like, fine, it's better than I thought, I guess. And then I saw like uh, later that summer, last summer, that there was a friend who went to just a Blue Jays game, and they had a picture of like a Bellwoods beer. They were like, so 17 bucks, what the fuck? Like, so like, I don't know if, I, I guess that's... In yeah, line it's like with a the hot dog is like twelve dollars or a place like that. Yeah, yeah just kind of. Fits. Well, that's the funny thing, right? Like it's 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 that you know they sell the short cans. I forget the deal that they do, right? It's like five dollars for like a short can of Bud, and you're comparing <laughs> that to. <laughs> yeah, you could get seventeen dollars. Yeah, yeah, you're like, well, you know, this is the, going back to my original conversation about where price matters. There is, a, there is a number, right? There is there is a number where no matter how good it is. For the average person. Yeah, not Craig, because Craig is like, oh, I'll pay the $17. Yeah. That's what it is. I was thinking, I was like, <laughs> was like what you would know I do? You, would. I you like, know you would, I would pay, pay the 17 $17. But I would have like two and not seven. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe Tiff prefers. So maybe yeah. I'll yeah. I think it's fair. Maybe okay. it all works out. Yeah, there you go. I think so. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There, there would be a, a point there where people would just be like, all right, relax now. Like even the uh, like staunchest of craft beer fans would be like, fuck it, give me the bud. Yeah. Like I think it's usually – there's not that – most people are cool to do it that I know. It's really just me. I don't really know many people aside from myself who would not even touch it. Yeah. That's the the – you know, we're, we're a little hectic with that, but yeah, that would, that would probably be another good growth opportunity. Speaking of that, cause I hadn't thought about that for a while, the rugby thing. It was just like, that's a cool play. 
I like that. Yeah. I feel like you got, you've got. you always, always enjoyed. Like yeah, I've always enjoyed seeing how you uh, show up in different places. Yeah. Like, you did, like, that TIFF, like, some type of TIFF activation with, like, this other um, BIPOC festival, mm. like, offshoot I saw. Mm. Like, yeah, you, you're, you all are very good at showing up in, in different places. And then you do the community, like, community-focused things, too. So, yeah, very, very smart. No, it's lit. Um... Was there anything else we want to touch on uh, before we? What's bring next it home? for Lost Craft in twenty twenty four? What's popping? I love that. I don't ask that question anymore. But it's like, what's next? What's next for Lost Craft <laughs> and High Park and local spirits yeah. and fucking Dahado and the yeah, Pigeon Fizz and yeah, you managed a lot. What's going on? Boys, what's next? Everything. Tell me more. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, this year was a was certainly like a better year in terms of a little bit more normalized. Um, I mean, I think that it's just it's just riding the wave. We've got to like manage the coastal you know, wave. The coastal <laughs> wave, exactly. All right, well done. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, like I mean, I think you know we're certainly trying to manage. There's a lot of shifting going on in the industry. There's a lot of to your point, like mergers and like different things kind of going on. So we're certainly trying to be. Um, you know, in the forefront of that kind of stuff too. So, uh, you know, we're we're definitely looking to expand and grow and kind of continue to build a sustainable, you know, business, which is you know what we've always wanted to do, and obviously make great products and build like you know a very strong you know community. I think that that's something that's like super important to me in terms of uh, having a, a brewery that's unique. You know, like there's, there's, there's many breweries in Ontario. I think that the experience that you get when you come to our places is, is certainly unique. So we want to continue to build on that and grow. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I think that, you know, moving forward, I think the idea is, you know, more products, more diversity, more different, you know, different types of things and not just segregated to one thing specifically. Um, and yeah, we're excited, you know, excited for, the changes to your point that are going to come in a couple of years as well. And, and we'll see how things go. Oh yeah. Love it, man. Uh, this is great. This has been such a, uh, this is a perfect conversation. I knew it was going to be great because I knew we were going to talk about this stuff, but it's like, it's such good timing because we just did that other pod. And now you've kind of answered a bunch of the questions, like some of the open stuff and given yeah, some it's like, like genuine... a very cool perspective and just like exactly. more insights than we had before. Yeah, because we're learning about, we're looking at from such an outside perspective and maybe we have opinions on stuff, but maybe we're also not educated. So it's cool to sort of like have the opinions and then hear them like, ah, okay, cool. I'm like starting to understand it. So hopefully this has given a lot of value to people, whether it's you're in the industry or not, just to, you know, hear about what craft brewery owners are dealing with out there mm -hmm. and, you know, what what's really the the day to day that that people in the industry have to sort of handle like like you said Tiff on the last one like hug a brewer they're dealing with some shit. <laughs> see Shahan in the street Give don't Shahan even talk hug. to him just hug him <laughs> and say thank you and say thank you maybe, <laughs> maybe a, little, a quiet peck on the cheek okay maybe not so whisper far. in his ear maybe not walk that away. far okay. no 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 do it <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious um, shall we take the little uh, like like you should still do the screenshots so we use oh, it yeah, for sure. um, uh, it's not for the thumbnail but it's for uh, what's it called I'm gonna hold the only beer. I'm gonna hold up. There you go. Yeah, different one. Yeah, different one. There we different, go. different one. There we go. All right. This is so weird because the camera isn't usually where it is. So I'm trying this far to like, away. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Oh, just got him. There we go. All right. You ready? Three, two, one. Perfect. 
Um, as always, stick around just once we wrap this up and we'll, we'll finish up off air. But brother, thank you so much for the chat, man. This has been great. This is really insightful. And uh, congrats on all the success, man. I mean, that's huge. All the things you're doing, like just once you, you know, you casually just listing off all of these crazy things that you're doing. It's uh, awesome. It's wild. It's inspiring. It's beautiful. Um, I it's love work. It. You guys put it in work. You're and you've been putting work, work since 2015. Yeah. 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 In, in this industry, at least. I'm sure you were working on something else before then. But uh, yeah, man, it's a beautiful thing. I'm really proud. And uh, you're a champion. And I'm excited to to get down. I know I want to see it again. And if I, yeah, I, I haven't there. seen it. So I would really like to come by. So we'll figure that out. But where can everyone find you online and in real life? Like whether they're f- for both brands. Oh, a lot of a lot of handles. At Lost Draft Beer, at High Park Brewery, at Dejado Tequila, at Drink Local Spirits. That's nice and easy. And what's the address uh, to come down if people want to visit? 839 Runnymede Road, Toronto, Ontario. Uh, uh, oh, it's near the Runnymede subway station, right? Correct. Yeah, like a five-minute drive from Runnymede's uh, subway. Hell yeah. How Which, convenient is that? How convenient is that? Amazing. So go check it out. Um, bring all your mates down, whether they drink beer or not, because you can get a nice craft cocktail. You can get an RTD. You can get some fire beer, whatever you're into. Make and a you guy, can get and the food. food. The food we had. What was the food we had? It was like some fried chicken, like a chicken sandwich or something. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and we actually like like this year specifically we uh we actually like took over the kitchen ourselves and uh our um our head chef Alex is amazing. Um so we have like a very curated it's it's very traditional, like nothing like you know, overly complicated. Uh but uh but yeah, fire fire menu, you know, smash burgers, great like pizzas. Um, you know, food that you expect to have at a brewery. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah. Anyway, not nothing. Nothing that's super complicated. But, but yeah, many features kind of every month. Uh, and yeah, the food's been been smashing, so it's been awesome. Amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. That's what you want. Like you said, the brewery goes with all this stuff. So get down, check it out. Bro, thanks again for hanging out. Uh, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up, hit subscribe, or hit that notification bell. Ding. So you know when the new drops. Follow us everywhere at BAOS Podcast. Check out the long form audio, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Give us five stars. Shahan wants you to give us five stars because for him, not for us, five, sank. Uh, Cinco, whatever, whatever it is in your in German, you know the vibes. Oh, wow. Uh, I know. Brad told me that. Um, <laughs> yeah, man. Love y'all. See you in the next episode. Peace. Bye. Peace.